On Point with Garrett Weaver, episode number 68. Let's roll. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 68 of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman coming at you from the Broken Tine studio right here in Hayden, Idaho. Nice sunny spring day, really enjoying this weather. This episode is brought to you by Phelps Game Calls, the call company of the Western Huntsman. And uh, reminding you guys, I don't know if you've been out turkey hunting yet, but I, I, I've only been out once. I've only been out once, but I did. I took my uh, black bat turkey call from Phelps. And went out there, and I, ju- I didn't get any responses. It was kind of like a half effort because uh, I had to. We had to just kind of. Um, well, in full disclosure, our house is up for sale, and so we had to. We had a showing, so we had to leave the house. This is partly why these episodes are b- being taken forever to get out. But uh, I have a ton of episodes lined up here. But anyway. I go out and didn't get any responses, and uh, but still had a ball, and I'll be going out this weekend, and hopefully you guys are getting out there and you've got your Phelps Game Calls. Uh, you can get them at the retailer. Jump on phelpsgamecalls.com. Use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off on those calls. Now, that doesn't matter. You Whether you're getting turkey calls or elk calls or predator calls or deer calls or waterfowl calls, they've got it all, and it's really good stuff. It's a great company story, and they really back it up. It's uh, just great people to, to do business with. So uh, if you are in the market, definitely check out phelpsgamecalls.com. It'll be in the show notes, and use the promo code HUNTSMAN10. I want to announce real quick before we get into it. I got a couple things for you. Um, we have we have a winner for our youth coloring contest, and I want to thank everybody that wrote or I'm sorry sent in their artwork of that big mule deer buck. And a very good job. Everybody did a great job. The coloring contest was not a you know who's the best colorer. Uh, it was just a youth coloring contest in which I kind of turned it into a raffle, and we drew a winner. The only thing is, is I let the winners know, um, and let the parents know, and I kind of wanted their permission to announce the name on the podcast just because, you know, a lot of people listen to it, and it's a kind of a weird world out there. Um, they didn't exactly say yes, and they didn't exactly say no, so I don't feel comfortable just saying their name. Uh, so we're going to kind of leave that anonymous, but I, I do want to congratulate her. She's six years old. Uh, her name was drawn and she is the winner of our coloring contest. We're going to do another one. So, uh, if you guys are hoping to do that again, just let me know. But, uh, in a few months, we're going to do another, probably another, uh, coloring contest for, for our youth hunters that, uh, are too young just yet to get out there in the field, but we're, uh, we're going to get the juices flowing early. So that is kind of that. Hey, I want to announce for... Any of you that follows Elk Bros, um, if if you follow Elk Bros, they have this new thing on their website called Hunting Buddy, and you go on there 
Uh, if you go to elkbros.com and you just click the hunting buddy tab, basically is how that works. And you kind of make your own profile. And it, what the, the whole purpose of that is for, uh, let's say you're, you've been solo hunting for a long time and, and uh, you're sick of being alone. You want a hunting buddy or you're a first timer and maybe you want to find a mentor or you're, uh, you know, just maybe your hunting buddy that you had a plan to come out west and hunt elk or something uh, kind of bailed on you and, and you're you're up a creek without him and, and you want to you want to find somebody else to go with. So that's kind of the idea behind this. And so Elk Bros put put this together on their website where you go in and make a profile. You can go in and like search other profiles to see if it's 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 almost like a dating game, right? It's it's like dating you, you, because and for me, I think it's you got to be more picky than you do when you're just dating. Um, it, because, you, you know, a date could go bad and it's just you're out whatever dinner costs and whatever else you do. Right. But uh, you you pick the wrong hunting partner and you could be in trouble. That could be uh, just kind of a mess and ruin your whole hunt. So that way you can go through and you could learn about different individuals who are also looking for hunting partners and you guys can kind of connect there and and hopefully plan a hunt and, uh, you know, make a new friend, get, get, a, get a good friendship going out of the whole deal. So check it out. I think it's kind of cool. I think it's a super cool idea, actually. Um, Joe over at Elk Bros, they just his his wheels are always turning, man. He, he's always got ideas and and he's just really creative. And this was a great idea. I think that it's something that has been missing for a long time because you see it all the time on social media. People are posting, hey, anybody want to go hunt or anybody know this area, blah, blah, blah. Uh, jump on Elk Bros, make a profile and you can find you a, a decent hunting buddy without, uh, you know, and just reduce the risk of somebody that you might not mesh well with. So a uh, great idea, Elk Bros. A uh, huge shout out to those guys. Um, let's move into, so last week I put out the salmon episode with Congressman Mike Simpson. And in my intro, I kind of, I kind of went off on, on like a rant and I do that periodically. I get on a, uh, a rant and I get, uh, as, as if you listen to it, you could tell I get pretty passionate at times. Uh, I got a ton of messages out of that. And I want to thank everybody that wrote in uh, telling me what they thought of, of kind of what I talked about in that intro prior to, to the congressman section coming on onto the show. Um, yeah, thanks for the feedback. And but but I want I want you guys to know like I I'm serious about that stuff that I talked about. I'm serious about conservation. I'm serious about public land. I'm serious about wildlife management that is based in science and not emotion. Uh, I'm serious about protecting our hunting rights and heritage and privilege. Um, it's an interesting conversation too because I heard somebody I was listening to some podcast I don't remember what it was and somebody was like well I think hunting is a privilege it's not a right. Um, I would disagree with that. Hunting is a right. However, it's hard to define it that way because there there is a privilege aspect to it because you could lose that right individually by, say, breaking the law or poaching or something like that. So I get why it is it is looked at as a privilege. But for me, I think as long as you are following the law and you are an ethical hunter, hunting for you is a right. I'd be curious what your guys' thoughts are on that. If you wouldn't just send me an email, if you wouldn't mind. Jim at the Western Huntsman.com. Send me an email. Is is hunting a right or is it a privilege in your mind? And explain. You know, I think that's a good uh, good discussion point. But getting back to what I was saying there, uh, in terms of conservation and and uh, everything that I that I talked about in in the the fighting that's going on, I kind of wanted to put my money where my mouth is. And I've had this idea rolling around for a long time where 
this show is uh, as as fast as we are growing and as many downloads as we get. And that is all thanks to you guys who are helping us share it and, and get the word out about the show. It's uh, the, You guys are my best advertisement, so I, I really appreciate that, by the way. Um, it, that that said, this show is not like some big moneymaker, um, and, and I'm totally cool with that. I don't, I don't really care if it ever becomes a big moneymaker, but I do want to try and raise money for the things that I believe in and I feel like you guys believe in as well. So we came up. I had my buddy John Gabriel who is like, I told him he's like the, the Picasso of the hunting industry because he, he makes everybody's websites and all these uh, t-shirt designs and all this stuff. So he designed me a shirt. I told him, I want a shirt with like this deer on it, this buck on it that says, don't buck with public land. Uh, because I am, uh, I geek out on puns. I like, I like to use different types of puns and stuff like that. And just, uh, the play on words. Um, I, I know I'm a dork, but I like it, and I'm running with it. I'm rolling with it, and actually, we've already got it out there. We put it out a couple days ago, so we've got this T-shirt that says, Don't Buck with Public Land, and it's a really cool design because John Gabriel designed it, and he's really good at that. The T-shirt is available for $25. We're taking 10% of the sales and donating those, in this case, for the for the from now until the end of quarter two, 2021. Those proceeds are going to be going to Sportsman's Alliance, and we're going to have a lot of information coming out about Sportsman's Alliance because they do a lot of stuff that I don't think people recognize enough, uh, and a lot of behind the scenes kind of behind the scenes kind of stuff that is uh, really impactful and really powerful. Um, and and then after that, I, I I'm, my thought is is either with the same shirt design or come up with a different shirt design. Uh, we'll run another one for quarter three. And that'll go to a different organization. And maybe what I'll do is I'll put like a poll. Uh, we have our Facebook group called Hunting the West, the Western Huntsman. Uh, if you're not a member of that, jump on Facebook and join it. And and uh, because I think that's where I'll run the poll and, and find out, you know, what organization you would like to see some of the, this money go to. But for now, it's going to go to Sportsman's Alliance for, for the next couple of months. So, um Again, there's not a lot of money or profit to be made on on the T-shirts the way that I do them. I don't buy a bunch and inventory them uh, or have an inventory and and ship them out myself. I drop ship from a company. So the T-shirt does not even get made until you make an order. Anyways, th- that's why the, the, the 10% is where it is. It's a 10%. So if you guys want a cool T-shirt and you want to help out with a, a great organization like the Sportsman's Alliance – Jump on the website, thewesternhuntsman.com, hit the merchandise tab, and find the t-shirt that says Don't Buck with Public Land. And get you a t-shirt. You're going to get a cool t-shirt out of it, and uh, the uh, organization of our choice during, depending on which quarter, right now Sportsman's Alliance, is going to get money out of it. And as soon as quarter one or quarter two comes to an end, I will cut a check, and I want it to be as big as possible. Because I I really think that you listening to this, you want to make a difference as bad as I do. And I think that stuff is really important. Let's put our money where our mouths are and uh, get you the T-shirt. We did put it up a couple days ago. Like I said, uh, I kind of advertised it on the social media site so you could see it. We've had had actually a bunch of orders already. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, So don't miss out. Get you a T-shirt, help help out with conservation, and uh, together we're gonna, you know, try to make a, a, as big of a splash and impact as we can on the things that we care about the most. Okay, this episode I have my friend Garrett Weaver, who is the host of the On Point podcast. And if you guys have not listened to On Point podcast, you don't know what you're missing. 
it's it's really a great show. Uh, Garrett is super articulate and he's super um, he's got a very unique perspective on a lot of things and I, I it's it's like really insightful. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation with him. And in full disclosure, I have not even gone through and listened to it since we recorded because I just enjoyed the conversation so much. I didn't feel it was necessary. I didn't edit it. I didn't do anything. All I know is we had a great conversation. Um, I had some whiskey flowing, and it was uh, in the evening, and it was just a great conversation, great talk. And we really focus a lot on the uh, the woodsmanship aspect of hunting because I think that that's a point that a lot of people miss when we're talking about you know everybody wants to talk about what arrows you're shooting what what this uh, what camo you're using uh, how to learn to you know use the wind to your advantage those, those kind of strategic things but not a lot of people talk about the woodsmanship aspect and I think that it's a really important part of being a well-rounded hunter and so that's what we talk about on this one we talk a lot of woodsmanship we talk uh, archery we talk hunting. Uh, just in general, and uh, Garrett is just a super cool dude. I'm really proud to call him my friend, and I think you guys are going to really like him. So with that, guys, let's get into it with Garrett Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in. Thank you guys a bunch for all the support you've given the show. Uh, thanks for all the Instagram follows and the Facebook friends and uh, all our reviews are are building on, on Apple Podcasts and all, all these things. I just can't thank you guys enough for all the support. You guys are wonderful. I appreciate it. And we will talk to you soon. Here we go with Garrett Weaver. From the sunny hills of Roseburg, Oregon. <laughs> but if by uh, sunny you mean rain. <laughs> very rainy and sunny. <laughs> there we go. I love it. Of Roseburg, Oregon. Uh, my pal Garrett Weaver of uh, the podcast, the super popular podcast, On Point with Garrett Weaver. Um, I'm really excited to have you on, man. Thanks for joining me. I, it's it's. I, I'm I super appreciate you having me on and, and you and I definitely hit it off on guys podcast. I just kind of gravitated towards you on there and I knew that you and I were going to be uh, definitely doing a podcast. Yeah, for uh, sure. Very soon. So that was, I, I appreciate you for having me on. Yeah, that that was fun doing that one with guy. I always like I, I always like <laughs> the banter that comes with like guy and his perspective yeah. and all the people he brings on. And um, yeah, so, yeah, that was a fun. I, I actually just released that podcast like last week. I'm doing it this week. Are you? Everybody's going <laughs> to be Yeah, I, I wanted to be the last. Yeah, I wanted to be the, kind of like the last one, give everybody, you know, um, and, and I, I had some other things going on. So I, I figured I'll just post it last. I don't, you know, I just want to be the low guy on the totem pole and respect everybody else and make sure guy got the you know downloads that he deserves. And, yeah. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, I just, you know, just, uh, and I've been super busy lately too. But yeah, I just wanted to make sure everybody, um, I was just super, super happy to be on there and, and, and very humbled. So mm-hmm. yeah, that Me was a really, that's probably the funnest podcast I've ever, ever been on or at least in a long time. Right. Yeah. It was fun, man. When you get all those personalities together and I really enjoyed <laughs> the, the contrast discussion because, and I talked about that in the intro when I released it, I'm like, you know, you get guys like Garrett Weaver who are super tuned into their bows and they're super technical. And then you get monkeys like me, right? And, <laughs> and, and that contrast is super interesting. I always like that conversation and, and uh, guy did a great job mm-hmm. with that. But um, for, for this episode, 
what I'm really looking forward to is, and, and it actually came up in that episode on Western Contours, was um, the, the discussion around woodsmanship and how it pertains to hunters. And, um, you know, before we go down that road, what, what I really like, <laughs> Garrett, is the fact that you do a hunting podcast and I'm, I'm doing a hunting podcast. You know, we were on a podcast with our, our friend, our mutual friend guy. Um, and mm-hmm. what's cool about that is I get a lot of people that are like, well, you know, that podcast is your competition or, or their competitors or kind of thing. And what people don't understand is like podcasting is not a competitive thing, right? We don't have radio programs that are on national radio at the same exact hour. Um, and so I always like to take that part out of it. I've actually caught, uh, caught some flack from some podcast hosts in the, in the past uh, because I, I wanted to get them on my show. And they're like, they're, I don't want to come on a competitor show. Well, we're not competitors. What? It's, it's a huh. weird thing. It's a weird belief, and I don't understand it because, first of all, um, again, like I said, we, we release episodes. People can listen whenever they want, right? Second of all, Correct. in the hunting industry, and I was listening to your episode – with the Blood Origins guy. What's his name, Robbie? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Good guy. Dude, that guy, <laughs> he says a lot of the same things I say, but he says it a lot more eloquently. And uh, really, <laughs> really enjoyed listening to that one. But the discussion you guys were having was talking about, like, this infighting that happens with hunting. And, and I feel like more podcasters should get together like this and have some of these discussions because – we have a lot of, um, you know, conversations with with people out there, and so I feel like we we were tuned into a lot of things that maybe some people aren't, and and it helps us solve some of the problems that we see out there. And as hunters, I, I feel like we're just failing ourselves with how much fighting and infighting and 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 uh, discussion uh, around you know bow hunting versus rifles versus who thinks salmon should be extinct versus who wants to you know you know all this stuff that's going on all the time you know. Um, and so that's mm-hmm. why I'm excited to have you on, man. You got a great show, by the way. Thanks, brother. And, and likewise, and and um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. And and I don't know who who in the heck you've been talking to, but I, I couldn't agree more with you. And and um, you know, I they, apparently I don't know if you listen to Gary V, but Gary V is like a huge um, social media content producing coach guy, and he could disagree with those guys more too. Yeah, um, no, you know, I've never he's, heard. He's of talking about collaboration. Yeah, Gary V. I mean, he is the best coaching content creator out there. It's all free. Oh, really? Um, I follow his Instagram. Yeah, the yeah. Everybody I know that that's into creating content follows Gary V. And um, are you saying Gary V. is in Victor or Gary Z. is in yeah. Zoo? Very Gary V. is in Victor, and he talks about producing content, what you need to focus on, you know, what you need to do, how to produce it, and you know, collaborating versus versus com- competition and and he's just echoing, echoing exactly what you're saying. And he's like, you know, if you collaborate, you know, the one hosting it maybe has a little bit more of the advantage. But I mean, really, it's it's it's. And I've always I've always used this analogy. You know, if you look at you know guys that are trying to get more of a piece of the pie versus a guy who's I, I'm a baker. I'm I'm making my own pie in the end because you can't mm-hmm. have a slice of mine. Doesn't mean I can't have a slice of yours. And it's not a pie we're trying to fight over. And and I, I see both sides of the story. I really do. Cause you know, there's only, there's only really so big of an audience and an audience can only, can only absorb a certain amount of content. But if, if you believe in your content and you love your content and your content's good, um, you know, having other guests is only going to expose you to more people. Right. And, yeah. and 
that's just another at bat. And so I, I see both sides of it, but I definitely agree. You and I are hundred percent similar on, on your thought process there. And, and I love collaborating with other guys and you just, you know, you can talk about, you can have conversations with other podcasters that you can't have with anybody else because no one else podcasts. You know, yeah. like yeah. you can't have a, a podcasting conversation with somebody who's never been on an episode, never recorded anything, never tried to produce content. And it's just it's just like having your own like little echo chamber of people to talk to, <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah, it's like somebody's going through the same thing you are. And uh, I wish exactly. I had more <laughs> podcasting friends when I started, man, because I, I was a disaster and. <laughs> and I, I I still am I still am for sure. But I just found I found this uh, this guy on on uh, Instagram you're talking about. I need help with that because I'm a, I'm terrible at uh, social media. He's good, man, and and uh, yeah, it, it's it's. I mean, I I started listening to him because the bro guys are like, yeah, Gary V, and I'm like, who the heck is that? And so I started <laughs> listening to him, and and he's got a he's got a he's got a mouth that's a lot like my wife. She curses like a sailor, and um, <laughs> so he just he talks from the heart. Yeah, talks from the heart, shoots from the hip, and I just love what he's about. He's just, you know, I, I, I've stolen one of his things that I keep telling my wife, um, and I, I just keep talking to, you know, my wife about it, and, and you know, kind of just saying the same thing over to over. This is kind of our, our theme this year is, you know, happiness above everything. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, because she's switching jobs, she's making a bunch of big changes, she's worried about contributing, and I'm like, hey, you know what? Happiness above everything will make it work, yeah. and that's just what we keep telling each other: is just happiness above everything. And if you do that, the dollar signs don't really matter. Yeah, so I, yeah, totally. Um, that's a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but no, um, no, yeah, you're so. exactly right, dude. When like like when I stopped stressing about how my sound quality was doing a, a a podcast, I started sounding better. When I stopped stressing about having like these big, you know, planned out interview questions and all this BS. <laughs> When I stopped doing that, yeah. the podcast turned out better. And, and so, anyway, yeah, it's definitely a rabbit hole, but it's cool talking to somebody else that does this um, sometimes. It's just a, it's a good – it's like a kinship, you know? So. Oh, for sure, yeah. So this episode, man, woodsmanship, this is a – it was really I – was, I was really taken aback when we were recording with Guy, and, and you started talking about, you know, my focus is going to be talking a lot more about woodsmanship and – you know things along those lines because I I feel like for me um, it's always this topic that I feel like a lot of people don't want to hear about but they need to hear about it right and right. and it's it's a missing thing it's a missing thing uh, especially when we have a lot of uh, younger uh, folks that are getting into hunting that. Uh, maybe have this sense of reliance on technology too heavily and don't understand the woodsmanship aspect of it. So, and and we've we've talked about it a lot on my show, like the adult onset hunter. That is not just pertaining to them. It's sometimes we even have. I I've been guilty of it, where maybe I've relied on on things outside of the woodsmanship that. Uh, maybe is not highlighted enough in terms of what makes a good hunter, what makes you successful, what can make you more successful, safer, and and uh, just efficient in the field. And this woodsmanship topic, everything can be funneled down to woodsmanship, in my opinion. Um, 100%. You know, actually, uh, Garrett, before we do that, because um, in case somebody in my audience doesn't know who you are, why don't, tell us about your mm -hmm. podcast real quick. So it's, it's a really similar to a lot of guys. Um, you know, we cover hunting tactics, tips, um, try and cover different states and, and mindset and gear. 
Mine's a little bit different from most in, in the way that we get really technical with archery uh, gear, shooting tips, tuning, broadhead, you know, flight, arrow setups. Mm-hmm. Um, I would consider myself, my strong point would be arrow setups and at-home tuning without using a press. And um, that's, that's really been my niche. Um, I've, I've never grew up with the press. I, I, I don't like doing string swaps or cam stuff. That, that's, that's not my wheelhouse. My stuff is I got the bow. How do I make it shoot? And that's really my strong suit and building a good arrow that'll shoot and do the job when it gets there. And teaching people how to do that along the way is kind of how I've gotten to where I've got now. Um, you know, long story short, I don't know if you want the long story, but I started with a YouTube video back when the Halon six came out showing off how far I could shoot. I think it was like oh, yeah. <laughs> 150 yards, you know, like my first mm-hmm. video, we have two cell phones. <laughs> We're filming <laughs> it with cell phones. The footage sucks and my groups are okay. And <laughs> it's just, that's where I started. I was like showing off and I'm like, maybe if the right person sees this, I'll get sponsored. You know, like I yeah, just yeah. had these wild dreams out there <laughs> and, and guys started commenting, wow, that's pretty impressive. But how are you doing it? What are you using? And I'm like, um, I started answering questions and the guy's like, well, can you do a video on that? And that kind of snowballed into on point what it is today, where my mind's at for helping people and in and my, and my heart. And, and, and it just really, um, just snowballed in, into talking to you today. And so, yeah, yeah. um, that's, that's really what it, what it is. Well, it's, it's a good, it's like a, it's a well put together podcast too. I, and this is from somebody who's I a podcast that. nerd, right? I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts <laughs> because I want to learn from other people that are really good at podcasting. And, and I also want to learn from people that are really bad at podcasting. So I know what not to do. And that's what a lot of podcasters come to my show for. They're like, don't do what husband <laughs> does. That dude no. sucks. But um, I, I like the way that you format it, and it's just like it, there's something efficient about your show, right? You get a lot out of it in in uh, you know an hour or so. Um, I appreciate that. And so you, you've got some really good episodes on point with Garrett Weaver. How'd you come up with that name? <laughs> Another funny story, actually. Um, I apparently I have writer's block and creating uh, creative issues because my YouTube channel is self-titled Garrett Weaver, <laughs> so. I couldn't figure out a name for that. And my on point podcast, I actually had a list of a bunch of names and I paid, um, John Gabriel, who's an amazing, um, uh, like digital, like brand yeah, designer dude, and logo I, designer. I just talked to him today on the phone. He designed my logo. I love that dude. He's awesome. Yeah, Mine too. Mine yeah. too. And yeah. so I'm like, I, I got to create this podcast name and logo and I like have to do it tomorrow. And so I'm like, I got a bunch of names. I'm not in love with any of them. I'm going to send them over to you. Maybe that'll give you an idea. I don't know why I'm, you know, asking you to name my podcast for me, but here you go. And, and, um, he's like, what about on point? Which is, I'm like, oh man, I don't like that one. He's like, well, you have it written <laughs> down here. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I think it sounds pretty good. Cause from what you told me, your podcast is going to be on point is like kind of hits home, right? Like on point with like Garrett Weaver. Yeah. I'm like, uh, I guess I'm like, can you work up a logo? And, and, um, that's kind of how it is. So he, he talked me into a name that I had crapped on <laughs> earlier. That, that's and, awesome. And yeah, dude, but, Gabriel, yeah, he's a good man. guy. He, he's one yeah. of those dudes. Like he's got, he has touched like more 
aspects of the hunting community than people will ever know, right? It's it's funny with Gabriel. He he is he has designed more logos and websites for for so many different hunting community or industry whatever you want to call it. You know, um, mm-hmm. I I did an episode with him like last summer and I called it the dude behind the scenes, right? Because he's he's a great hunter, but he's also this super creative yeah. uh, web building. You know, anyway, I'm I, he might be building me a new website. I I think I'm gonna have him do a website for us. Oh, right on. No, I, I would, yeah, recommend him, recommend him for anything. He's been a great guy to me, and I've never heard a negative word about him, man. I mean, he's, he's mm-hmm. a solid dude, great great hunter, very persistent. Um, he, and, he you know, smoked. He's, oh, he's, go ahead. Or, no, he's, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I was going to say he's smaller than me, um, but doesn't, you know, if you got, if you want to get, get rid of excuses, that guy's an excuse eliminator. He's small framed, but extremely, you know, fit and just gets the job done and he hunts with that i call him captain america he probably doesn't know that but i call <laughs> schmidt captain america of the woods and he just he's just built like captain america out there and you know he's super t- he's like the opposite of of john and they hunt together and i'm sure to keep up with that guy with with the leg spread difference alone <laughs> yeah, is, is quite know, the feat right? seriously but, and yeah you know, what's interesting is, is, so he he got this mule deer tag for the Wasatch Front down outside of Salt Lake City, Utah, right? And it's this great tag. They have these these monster bucks up in this area, super limited. Um, and I used to hunt that when when I lived in Utah years and years ago. I used to hunt that front, and I was never successful because I, I I you know it's it's archery only. I wasn't a great archery hunter back then. We're talking like the 90s. But I would get super close to these monster muleys and and just kind of blow it at the last minute. Well, he he moves down there a couple years ago, and I'm talking to him, and he's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I got this tag for the Wasatch Front, and I'm going to go up and, and uh, try to get a mule, mule deer. And he goes up there, and in, the, in his first season, <laughs> no, I think it was his second season, nails this monster mule deer buck. I was like, dude, <laughs> quit making it look so easy, man. What are you doing? <laughs> no, that's funny, man. Yeah, the guy's good. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's what I love about podcasting is I, I've got like this big network of friends like you and, and Gabriel and all these guys that, you know, you're all better than hunters mm-hmm. than I am. But um, I want to talk let, – let's get into this woodsmanship thing, man. Um, okay, let's do it. I So I, – and I want to hear how you define it because for me, what how I define woodsmanship and why I think hunters – uh, maybe don't put enough emphasis on knowing woodsmanship and understanding uh, what it is to be in the field and in, in the mountains in the wild. Uh, for for me, woodsmanship is when you go into the field, whether you're in red desert sand country of of southern Utah, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, mm-hmm. or you're in some of the you know coniferous forests of the Northwest, um, or the high uh, you know 10,000 feet elevation Rocky Mountains. I don't care where it's at. But when you go into the field, you are at home. You don't feel as if you are a guest. And I think that a lot of people, when they go into the woods, they feel like they're a guest. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of uncertainty that comes with being a guest. And, and woodsmanship will take that uncertainty, uh, uncertainty and it will remove that feeling of being a guest to maybe feeling more like you are at home. Um, and that's how I define it. What say you, how do you define woodsmanship? And that'll kind of be the foundation for this, this discussion. Yeah. So, um, that's a, that's a tough question. That's a good question. So 
Woodsmanship to me would be non-gear related hunting skills. Um, so not shooting. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I have to eat my words on that one. Tracking no, that, an animal, knowing, yeah, knowing an animal's um, habits, you know, when they're going to be bedding, you know, are they going to rebed? Is their first bed their legit bed? Um, knowing what, you know, you get to the bottom of a ravine, you're putting a stock, you have to anticipate maybe that's going to be a little sloshy or muddy, and then you're going to have to anticipate that that sound you're going to make, or can you use that creek as to silence, you know, the brush or the twig you're going to have to pop, you know, like there's a, it's just, I think it's a dynamic relationship between the hunter and the woods. I think that's my definition. A dynamic relationship between hunters and the woods. Yeah, I think, I think that would sum it up and that's so loose, but to define that, it'd be any way, anything from, you know, the, the animals that you're pursuing, to knowing, you know, the vegetation, the fauna, the terrain, you know, what can you use to your advantage? What, what areas to focus on? Like woodsmanship to me is just knowing the animals that you pursue and, and, and the terrain and the environment in which you pursue them. Uh, Maybe that's a better definition. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, to me, it, it takes a lot of the gear out of it. It takes most of the gear out of it. I think shooting your bow is more of an archery, skill than a woodsmanship skill, but it's part of it. Cause you know, again, you're going to have to know if your arrow is going to hit the intended target shooting at the coast. That's not so easy sometimes because you have so much vegetation. So, um, I, I would say it's, it's more, um, uh, it gets away from gear and I, I think it focuses more on you. And when you take the light off of the gear, which is something that's probably more reliable than you are, um, you know, a gun is more efficient than me. A bow is more efficient than me and more accurate than I am. I'm the most, um, inaccurate part of that equation. And I always will be, um, you know, it really comes down to all you, and that's the hardest thing to work on is, is you and your skills. And I think that's why it's, it's not a sexy thing to talk about because it's the hardest thing to talk about. And it's mm-hmm. the hardest thing to get better at. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's a great point. Um, because, yeah, like you were like you were saying, there's and I'm not I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way in terms of you know it's not like I'm against technology. I mean I use Base Map like crazy. Um, I, I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of Base Map and I, I even use Onyx. I have both of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm strange that way. Um, and I I have uh, a lot of the gear that that makes us better and makes us able to stay in the field longer and you know all those things. But when you take out, I always look at it this way. Like when I, I think of when I'm when I'm 16 years old, and there, you know, nobody had. So I don't know how old you are, but I'm 40, and I, I feel like I announce that on every damn podcast I recording lately because I'm, <laughs> I'm upset. <laughs> I'm upset about turning 40, man. I'm upset about it. But oh, dude, I was in a bad mood after turning 30 last year. I was like for a week. I was like. One step in the grave, dude. You you piece of crap. You need to get out there. And yeah, I was I was just Debbie Downer on myself for like a week. You know, yeah, don't be. Gym harder. I just, <laughs> just just make the most out of your thirties. All, all I know yeah, right, right? is is what's crazy to me is like everybody talks about how fast your twenties go, right? I feel like for me, yeah. the thirties went faster. 
and and I don't know what happened. And it's it's like I feel like I wish I could go back to when I turned 30 and kind of figure out because 30s is a great place to be. That's let's let's I mean let's face it, it's a great. You you have a little salt. You're a lot you're a lot wiser than wiser than you were in you know like your mid 20s. Oh yeah. And yep. I I I was in a band when I was in my 20s, touring around, uh, drinking way too much. I don't remember like two years of my life, um, out of control. But the 30s is when stuff started, you know, coming together and organizing. Anyway, mm-hmm. getting off on a tangent here. Um, enjoy your 30s, dude. I don't know. You, you seem like an axe man. Are you, are you an axe man? What, what do you mean by that? You're a guitar, you're a guitar player? So I am. Um, I was in like uh, I was like the front man, right? I had I had a band that was it was like a country rock band, and I played uh, acoustic nice. or electric. Um, but I it, that all came from me being a drummer. I was a drummer my whole life, and then I wanted to write songs. My man. Couldn't yeah. Couldn't write songs on the drums, so I switched to guitar, and I'm a terrible guitar player. Uh, but I was a really good drummer. <laughs> Um, in fact, I, I turned down an, a full ride scholarship to college uh, because of drums. I, I was, you know, I had a music scholarship. I turned that down so I could join mm. the Marines, and that's what I did. And so, um, oh wow. wow, that was stupid. I know we're <laughs> off on a tangent here, but you got me talking drums. Were you going to Cambridge or um, or Berkeley College of Music? No, you of you, man. You you University of Utah. Really? Yeah, wow, that's crazy. I yeah. do. I was uh, I was in a very similar very similar position. I never got any formal offers, but I uh, I started drumming early early sixth grade and drummed up until my early twenties uh, with intent. I call it with intent. Like I wanted to do it that mm-hmm. for a living, and then um, kind of just kind of just you know didn't didn't want to make the sacrifices it was going to co- you know take to to make it and and yeah. um, kind of just put down the, the sticks for a while i still have my set in the garage you know but is it set up or um, is it is it just kind of stored away i dude i just i just took it down a couple months ago and put it put them in the hard cases but it's um it's a good set i it was like a couple what was it five i got 5 grand invested into it and that was back in like 2004 oh yeah that's a, that's a sweet set man yeah, so it's yeah, it's a Thomas Star Classic EFX. It was oh, actually yeah, 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 I, yeah. this is a hunting podcast, but uh, I, we're gonna have to talk drums. For Listen, a there's more so hunters be, out be there patient, that are drummers people. than we than we're giving it credit. Come on, you guys can hang. Well, it was a Thomas Star Classic effects, um, and so that's a that's a not a not a maple. That's a uh, I'm gonna say it's a birch, um, but it was uh, basically built after modeling like the exact kit. Um, color and everything white silk it was the same one that john Delmine was using for system of the down Hell yes. and i want to say toxicity but i might be wrong but he was my favorite drummer self-taught went to berkeley which i was look always looking at going to berkeley and that's where he met the band and he filled in one night and we're like dude you kick our drummer's butt and so he, yeah i like i was just nerding out on john Delmine, so i bought the same set and uh i was drumming like 20 25 hours a week and and um you know just trying to trying to make it. And so it was just, yeah. Uh, you got me talking about drums. I love it, man. I, I'm sure you can relate. No, totally, man. I, I wanted to be a studio sessionist and, and I had, I was so in high school, I was like, uh, I was a big time jazz band drummer and jazz is, is tough. That, that, that's a tough genre. Right. Oof. And, and you so that's chops if you can play jazz. That yeah. that's where that's where all the the colleges I got their attention was was my jam uh, my my drumming chops were in the jazz band and we we won this competition in California, uh, and and it was because we had we had this like halfway through this I can't remember 
damn name of the song. We're totally down a rabbit hole here, but I had the, I had this epic <laughs> drum solo in front of all these college, you know, band, you know, professors or whatever the heck they are. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, had letters coming in, and and uh, I was gonna accept the one from the U of U, but I, I I wanted to go into the Marines. That was like my lifelong dream, right? And there there was like this time frame on it, and so I I was gonna go. I just wanted to go into the Marines, so I did. I went into the Marines, and it wasn't like I, I think I said full ride. It wasn't full ride, but it paid for a lot of my college. I even hid. That's amazing. I hid the letter from my parents so that they didn't know because they 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 weren't too you know, hip on me going into the Marine Corps. They wanted me to go to college. I'm like, no, I want uh-huh. to go, I want to go be a machine gunner that, you know, at 18, that sounded like a great idea. That's amazing. Huh? That's <laughs> you ever heard of the movie whiplash? Huh? Watch dude, watch that movie. And then call me when you're done. Okay. Uh, all right. I will, man. <laughs> it's one of my favorite, favorite drumming movies ever. It's, it's, it's not like drumline. It's not silly like that. It's, it's kind of like you you being in the position that you were in, it, it, you know, and being like competitively. I if you're in college, you know it or not, you're competitively competitively playing the drums mm-hmm. for that seat that you're in. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, you're not just the drummer. You got probably three or four chairs behind you, and everybody's like, "I'm gonna kill you. I'm taking your seat." Um, my dad was actually, I think, first or second trumpet, um, in, in I think your neck of the woods uh, back. He he played trumpet and jazz. Um, played a lot of Maynard, Maynard Ferguson and, and stuff like that. And oh, badass. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, you got me talking about music and, and uh, one sec, uh, one more thing is uh, my favorite drummer, which is Travis Barker, not a fanboy, legit, legit fav, favorite drummer. He started off one of the best drummer, not the best drummer, most dynamic drummer in the world right now, only because mm-hmm. um, Neil Pert, Neil Pert died, but um, is, uh, is he started off with jazz. Mm-hmm. and grew his hands from there. And, I mean, he's the, one of the most dynamic, um, you know, rock, uh, punk rock, alternative rock drummers out there. And that guy can do anything. And also marching band. He's got marching band rudimentary hands. It's just yeah. amazing. Very dynamic, very dynamic drummer. Yeah, I did all the marching band so, stuff. And I loved it. I, lo- I loved, you know, and we'd play traditional grip and all that kind of stuff. But there was something about uh-huh. the jazz band that you know the two four and the three four all this all these different times and and uh, I man I just like had a knack for it I don't know what I was thinking switching to guitar because I was always a better <laughs> drummer than ever I played guitar but anyway I I think I know what you were thinking is is <laughs> I've got songs in my head I can't write them on the drums I yeah. got to figure out how to put them on the guitar and show people what I want them to play that's I, exactly I, what it was man that's exactly what it was yes, I and so so I started playing guitar <laughs> and we put this band yeah. together when I was out of the military. And we started getting these shows, and come to find out, I had a knack for making uh, crowds at bars really drunk. Um, and so <laughs> the bars loved to book my band because I'd get the crowds really drunk. They'd spend a bunch of money on alcohol because we were rowdy, man. We were a rowdy-ass band. And uh, so yeah, anyway, awesome. it just blossomed from there. I'm glad I don't do it anymore, honestly. <laughs> yeah, my my well, liver would well, kill me. Yeah, if we ever get together, we're gonna be two peas in the pod. There, that's that's uh, that's about out. I, yeah. I love hearing that stories like that. We should have a we should have a hunting camp uh, drum <laughs> session unplugged around the campfire. That's what I'm thinking. Oh man, you you would probably teach me a thing or two. It's been ten years, maybe eight years since I've drummed. Um, oh man, like I said, no. with intent, I, I'm, I'm you know? rusty. I'm rusty AF, man. Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's awesome. Well, cool, man. We got a lot in common. 
We do. We have a lot more in common than I, yeah, who knew? But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I, I don't know if your audience wants to hear all that, but um, I, I love talking about other stuff besides that too. So yeah. Um, yeah, me too. We're going to have to definitely pick that up more off air as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, what were we talking about, man? We Like something about woodsmanship. Oh, oh, woodsmanship. Yeah, yeah, we were just getting into the woodsmanship stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I guess like, again, we got totally off on a tangent there, but, uh, I guess we should circle back to, to some woodsmanship and talk because woodsmanship is one of those things that is not a, uh, an easy skill to learn, right? It's not, uh, like you said, a lot of people forget it because it's the hardest thing. And it's, it's one of those you can't jump on and just watch YouTube videos and become a woodsmanship or, or you know, woodsman, whatever. Um, right. You can you can pick up things from it. Like you could learn where water is in a, on a mountain, where where you're most likely to mm-hmm. find water, where you're most likely to find edible, you know, berries, where you're most likely to uh, see elk bed down for the day. You could learn those things, but a lot of that comes from time in the field. And I think that that's an important part of it. Um, now you hunt a lot on the like kind of coastal Oregon, right? Yeah, born and raised, um, pretty much you could call it coastal Oregon, and um, you know, easily on the west side of the Cascades. And I'm only about an hour and a half from the beach, and so um, all the elk I grew up hunting and deer I grew up hunting were blacktails and uh, rosies. And then when I would go, um, started traveling over east, um, you know, mule deer and uh, Rockies, but. Yeah, definitely, definitely more coastal than anything. You know, as kind of a side topic, I always like to ask this question: what, What's the biggest difference between hunting Roosevelt's and Rocky Mountain? Because I've never, I've never hunted a Roosevelt. Uh, there's some stark contrast. So um, one is more territorial, um, and and they don't have as large as a home range. Um, the Rosies are, you know, you find them in a drainage, or you find a drainage where they're in. And they're pretty much going to be there or very well near that area. And if you get one fired up and you, and you get one bugling, your chances, I think, of killing him where he's at are higher than killing a Rocky where he's at. Um, a Rocky will tend to cover more ground. Um, you know, we chase Rockies three, four miles, you know, and uh, Rosie maybe chase them two or 300 yards. <laughs> so um, it's, it's just a different dynamic. They, they seem to hold their own more. Um, they do get very aggressive with, with the bugling. A lot of guys say that all oh, roses don't bugle. I think the vegetation and just the way that people are calling to them lends to that. Um, you really have to pierce through that canopy and you have to pierce through the brush. They have to hear you. And then if they do hear you, you have to hear them. And I've, I've seen it so many times. A guy gets out, bugles out of the truck on a landing and, or on, you know, on top of a drainage bugles 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 i'm already down in the brush and then there's a bull bugling down here i'm like shut up bull you know like i'm <laughs> i know i know i'm down here and the guy never hears him fires up his truck and run you know goes off and um that's happened probably three or four times where i'm on a bull that somebody else was bugling to but never heard them because they just didn't get a little farther off the road or get to a vantage point where they could hear that echo or that sound travel and <laughs> and, um, it's just, it's just kind of, it's just kind of different. So, but yeah, so it's, it's a little more of a home range elk. Um, they're less athletic in my opinion. Um, and you know, meaning that like, if you spook a Rocky, he's going to go, he could go in miles before he stops, you know, depending yeah. on where he's at the type of terrain. 
a rocky or a rosy may only go a quarter mile, you know, or whatever it may be, maybe one drainage over. So just very, very different contrast there. But it's so thick over there. Like a quarter mile is a lot more difficult than a quarter mile in, you know, southern Idaho or something. You know? Oh yeah, I'd rather I'd rather do um, a mile, two miles over in eastern Oregon without roads than do half a mile in in, in the coast without roads. It it is so thick. It took um, my buddy killed one the other couple of years ago down in this crap hole that I've been avoiding for years, and finally I had somebody willing to go down in there with me. End up killing this five point, and it took six of us a few hours to get this pole out, less than a mile. Jeez, um, man, that's nuts, yeah, man. And it was, what? yeah. I mean, guys were. I mean, I've broken sights off in this in this stuff. I've broken pins off in my sights in this stuff. Um, you know, just lost equipment, lost calls, lost everything. This this brush will grab you, hold you, break your stuff. Viney maple, um, sal owl, um, rhododendrons. I mean, there's all sorts of things that just want to rip your gear apart. Um, I've had, you know, first light last a week over here you know, the, the certain pants and stuff. And so it's just just a different animal. I'd love to try it. It's addicting. It's addicting. Once you get good at rosy hunting and you, and you understand and and you find a spot where the rosies are, they're probably going to be there year after year. Kind of a, kind of a niche thing where if you have a spot, I don't know if there's any people in the woods that are more tight lipped than a rosy hunter. (laughs) I'll bet. I'll bet. Um, Yeah. Because if you find it, if you find the elk and they're there, they're probably going to be there again. And you better keep that spot to yourself. <laughs> yeah, I keep I keep talking. I've got a couple buddies. I've got Mike Hers over out there in in uh, Western Washington, and uh, Tony Wintrip, the the elk singer. He's out there too. Those guys are those guys are studs yep. at uh, Roosevelt hunting, you know. And and we keep threatening about. I told him, you know, you know, if you guys want to come to North Idaho. And then we could trade off the next year. I'll, I'll come out there and you show me how to hunt a Roosevelt because, you know, I'd, I'd be I'd be lost, but uh, I'd love to try it. And, and I what I, I like about talking to guys like you on either the Oregon or Washington coast, because it is super, super thick over there. North Idaho is similar. I don't think it's as thick, but it is uh, very much canopy type kind of country. And so mm-hmm. um, it, it, it really bodes well to this woodsmanship discussion, uh, which, by the way, I think it's important that we know, like, stopping in the dirt road in your truck and getting out and bugling, that's not woodsmanship. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, I'm no. not saying I've never done that before, but I am saying I've never killed an elk that way. Yeah. However, I do know a guy that did that. So anyway, I've done that uh, a few times. Yeah, um, I mean, you just got to know the spots and you got to park your truck. And, and I walk, you know, a couple hundred yards. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's the key. Than just, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, I've it's, gotten responses that way. I, I have. I, I, I'll oh, stop yeah. in the middle of the road. I'll <laughs> shut my truck off. I'll wait like three or four minutes and then I'll start bugling. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way to locate a bull. Right. It, but but oh, to, yeah. to expect uh, gosh, I, I I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but one time I did that, and it actually wasn't very far from where I live, my house, up on the Forest Service Road. You know, it's like three minutes from my driveway. Um, I'm up there like three miles, and I get out and bugle, and I get a bunch. Uh, actually, I cow called. I didn't bugle. I, I cow called, and I had a bunch of wolves howling back at me. It was crazy, man. Oh, shoot. It was nuts. I, and I, I was all excited, too, because I, I, I had a pistol on me, and I had wolf tags. I'm like, oh. 
Come on, bitches. <laughs> and so I, I keep cow, cow calling, then they just they just left. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, interesting. So what got you into this woodsmanship talk? Like the the topic of woodsmanship. Where where did that come from? Um, really a selfish standpoint. That's my weakest area as a hunter and getting honest and open and real with myself is like, you know, if, if gear could kill animals, I'd be the most successful guy out there. Cause I've got a lot of gadgets and gizmos and I've tried all sorts of things and I shoot all the bows every year and I've got long guns. I've got, you know, I've got it all. And if, if gear could help me kill stuff, um, you know, I'd be, I'd be extremely successful. And, um, I just, I, you know, knowing, what I know and getting around guys that know more than me and really, you know, um, like for example, uh, Brian from day six took me over to Alabama and, um, just hunting with him is, uh, you know, he's got, he's been on a lot of blood trails cause over in Alabama, you can pretty much shoot deer as many as you want over there. And, um, yeah, it's nuts it in just the crazy. South, man. Just, yeah. Just seeing, just seeing how many, uh, animals he's been on and just knowing what a blood, like he could look at a blood trail and get more information than I could. And I didn't like that. I mean, I, I liked it because I could, I was learning, but I didn't like that. I, that was a weak spot for me. Yeah. And then, um, <clears throat> being, being on blood trails here locally and then hearing guys talk about, um, another guy, there's a guy locally. I, I, I'm, I need to approach him. Um, he is the guy that people call when they can't find their animal and he'll go find it for them. Um, and he, he trails animals. He's extremely good, extremely slow taking his time, but he will find your, your bull, your buck, if it's fatally hit, um, with, with very little to go on. And, um, just knowing that knowing, um, you know, bugling and, and, and cow calling when, how talking to people like Mike Batiste and then knowing like, dude, I got a lot to learn. Um, just the more, the more I got questions and guests and getting around people that are just straight up better hunters than me, the more I realized I, I got to get better at this area before I can get better at other areas. And this is why I'm not being successful currently um, or more successful. And this is what's holding me back. And so really it's just an honest thought, you know, or conversation between me and myself and, and just really wanted to, to I, and I see this all, with a lot of people, you know, it, you don't, you don't see on all the, the Facebook forums and all the Instagram posts, you know, how do I become a better hunter? It, you don't really see that. Guys are too proud to ask that question. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. And I'm willing to, you know, put my my ego down and just say, hey, man, I, I just want to freaking learn. I just want to go back to to just being a student of the woods and, and not having to be the guy, just being a guy in the woods that's trying to get better. And and really, that's just been kind of a uh, turning the corner mindset for me the last I don't, year and a half year. Um, you know, that's just it's just a part of all growing. You sure, know? sure. It's such a um, <clears throat> how do I say this all encompassing thing, right? When when you're when we're talking about being a woodsman, I feel like see that I feel like that's my strong suit, and and, and it's only because. You know, I, I am long in the tooth, and I was born and raised in in the wild in in a, in a lot of ways. We were my entire family. We we are outdoors people, and and that's that's just how it is. I I know animal behavior. I know uh, I, I know how they eat. I know how they breed. I know where they water. I know I, I know all these things. But I'm terrible at at other aspects, and so I think that when when we're talking about this, like your weak spot has been in the past maybe maybe some woodsmanship stuff. My weak spot in the mm-hmm. past has been 
a lot of the gear kind of stuff. And it has actually cost me <laughs> yeah. um, some some notch tags. And what I mean by that is I, I can tell you that even this last September, uh, and I think we talked about this on, on Guy's podcast, where, um, you know, I had this great call in. I, um, I called in this bull, and I'd been messing with him for about 10 days. And his second to last day, I knew he was, I called him Mr. Chuckles because, he, he just chuckled so much. He wasn't like a – he didn't bugle a lot. He just chuckled, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I've I, I, people listening in this in my audience might be rolling their eyes because I've told this story. That's how bent out of shape I am about this. Um, I called in this bull. It was a it was a great, like, textbook call-in. It, it is – if I could have gotten it on video, um, people could watch that and know exactly how to call in an elk. And I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at that part. But when I when I sauced him with an arrow, and I, I I thought he was dead. I don't know what I did wrong. When I looked at the blood, it it appeared oxygenated, so I figured it was a lung shot. <laughs> but it was a little darker than normal oxygenated blood, right? And that's that's where we're talking about our woodsmanship. I I can identify that, but I still thought it was fatal. After four days of looking for this bull, um, it proved it was not fatal. Even a week later, when I went back to do a crow check, it, it, it obviously was not a fatal shot. This this bull lives. And what that boils down to, Garrett, for, for me, is like you were talking about how technical you are with, with your bow. Um, I shoot a lot, but I have no ID. Or no ID. I do have ID. Uh, even when I vote, I, I have an ID. I have no idea what like the FOC of my, my arrows are. I know Mm -hmm. generally the spine of my arrows, right? I think it's like 340 or something like that. Um, I know what grain of arrow I shoot. And so when, when we're talking about this, I, we've, we've all got our strong points and our weak points. Mine is that side. I feel like I, I, I'm doing something wrong with my bow in terms of the setup or something, because when I hit him Mm -hmm. last, last September, um, I was sure, and it, it, it was almost sundown, I was sure this elk was dead. And I looked, uh, I followed the blood for a little bit, and then it got dark, uh, went back to camp, and was just positive that I was going to go back and recover this bull in the next, with by 9 o'clock. Um, never did. So mm-hmm. it, 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 it was... And, and obviously, I'm still I'm still upset about it. It's it's <clears throat> as a bow hunter, we know that sometimes that happens. For me, I feel like that's happened too much, and and I, I need to be more on the technical side and start really focusing more on on some of the stuff that you're really strong at. So for for me, I could learn a lot from you. Um, I, I I shoot an old bow. Uh, it's time to upgrade it. I need to quit messing around with it basically does that make sense so yeah. um I, it, it does I, yeah I, I i guess i say that in a sense that i don't want you to think that you know um you are less of a hunter because you're strong in one side and not so strong in another i think that every hunter has a strong side of it uh, i have a deep-seated childhood passion for for wild land wild country back country uh and and just just places that uh, I, I always like to feel like I'm the first person that's ever been there, and and I know that's not the case, yeah. but um, that that's my thing, and it, it's been like that ever since I was I was you know before I can even remember. Um, 
and so I, I feel like I'm really strong on the woodsmanship side, but because I, I, I'm really good at finding elk, I can always find deer, I can always find elk, and I. But getting a notch tag on them, sometimes I I really lack on that side, and a lot of it is because I don't know my arrow setup. I don't know, you know, what my bow is going to do because sometimes this this old bow I shoot is inconsistent. Is there a way in your mind that you could tie all that together for for people listening and and even me? Like tie all that together. What what? How does woodsmanship apply to knowing how technical you need to be with your gear, and how much technology is necessary to make you more efficient? All these things that kind of encompass or envelop like like just a well-rounded hunter. What what are your what is your perception of that? Pardon the interruption, but we got to talk about the show sponsors because they're the ones that make this show possible. I want to start with Scree Gear. Scree is extreme mountain gear. It's high-performance hunting attire and gear, scientifically tested camo patterns, and all backed by a great company, and I wouldn't recommend it to you if I didn't fully believe in it. I've, I've run the Scree for a couple of seasons now, and I tell you what, if you want to compare the, the quality and the durability and the effectiveness of this gear, go for it, because you're going to find that you're not going to drop a fortune, and you're still getting all the benefits of what you can see out there with in terms of high-end gear. They offer a complete layering system for all terrains, for all conditions. It's gear designed to adapt to the weather. It's rugged. It's backed by a lifetime guarantee uh, and warranty. And what I really like about it is the VIP sizing and exchange program. So basically, if you order the hard scrabble pants and you get them and they, they show up and they're not fitting right, you just send them right back for free because they send you the return slip label that you just throw on your packaging and send it back. It doesn't cost you anything, and they replace it with a better size for you. So Scree Gear, check them out. And don't forget, at the checkout, use promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Heck of a deal. Great company. Great gear. All right. Moving on to Tacticam. Guys, Tacticam is our newest sponsor, and I'm really excited about having them on board. If you've ever wanted to film your hunts and have specific and unique, like, point-of-view type kind of angles, the Tacticam is the way to go. It can connect to your bow. It can connect to your rifle. They've got the film through scope. Uh, make sure you're checking regulations on all of that in, because that changes in every state. But I film in Idaho when I'm hunting, and I have the Tacticam attached both to a head harness and a shoulder harness as well as, like, this flex mount thing so I can, I can get multiple angles as I'm calling in a screaming bull elk and get it all on camera. The gear is great, and they also have other cool packages like the Reveal Game Camera. It's a cell cam, so you can set that up if you're managing whitetail property or something like that. It's perfect because it texts you in real time when pictures are coming in. The other thing that I really like from Tacticam is their new fisheye camera. For you fishermen out there, when you're trying to get that uh, that that perfect coverage of, of filming your fishing trip, man, this thing is badass. It like it gets the whole wide angle of it, and you can control all of these cameras through an app on your phone in real time. Zoom in, hit record, zoom out, pause it, stop it, all the things right there in your app in real time. Great sound quality, 4K video recording. Get you a Tacticam, and I heard a rumor that we're going to have one hell of a giveaway coming up on the show for some Tacticam gear, so stay tuned for that. Go to Tacticam.com and check it out. Last, but certainly not least, I want to talk about Hoffman Boots. Hoffman Boots are high-quality, high-end 
great traction, rugged mountain boots that you need. Every hunter needs a good set of boots, and you could really drop a fortune on great boots, but the Hoffmans are going to give you everything that you can get, just like what, what I was talking about with Scree Gear, without breaking the bank. That's what I love about the Hoffmans. If there's one thing you don't want to chintz out on, it's great quality hunting boots. You've seen them. They've been up there hunting. People that chintz out on their hunting boots, and they're slipping and sliding all the way down the mountain. The sole's coming off. They've got everything. Their, their feet are soaked. All that is going to be prevented with a great pair of Hoffmans. I run the Hoffman 8-inch Explorers. It's a great boot, and I could personally vouch for that. But they've also got another great product called the Summit, uh, and that's another popular boot out there. Got the Explorers in insulated, non-insulated, 6-inch, 8-inch, and just check out Hoffman.com, and you can, or I'm sorry, HoffmanBoots.com. And uh, you will be able to kind of pick out all this, all the different options and, and things like that. They've got a great warranty, uh, great company. Jim Hoffman, the owner, is a great dude. Uh, and at checkout, don't forget to use promo code HUNTSMAN10, all caps lock, for 10% off. Enjoy it. Let's get back to the show. That's a really good question. And um, I, I think... I think having the, the tough conversations with yourself, you're going to know what area you're inadequate in or you're that you need to improve on. So you just identified that I've got the woodsmanship skills. I'm getting the opportunities at the animals. I'm finding the animals, but the, you know, the red zone, I'm, I'm struggling in the red zone and I think it's on my equipment aspect. Mm-hmm. So that's where I would start. And I think for folks that are wanting to figure that out for themselves, I think they probably already know at heart and they're probably already buying gear, uh, you know, to try and mask an issue. You know, maybe, maybe it's not a, a bow issue. Maybe it's a mental shooting issue. Maybe it's, maybe it's target panic. Maybe you're just rushing the shot, whatever it may be. Hey, raising my hand here. I've done that, you know? So, no, I have too. Um, yeah. I mean, we're, we're all guilty of that yeah. at some point, right? Yeah. And so I, I think in order to tie that together, it's going to be um, individual individualistic for each person. And, and you're going to know, and especially if you hit the woods, you know, like, ah, I can't believe I didn't see that coming. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did this instead of that. I, I would have done this. I would have killed that animal. Mm-hmm. If you have a lot of those situations, I had one last year, man, where me and Anthony were, were on a bowl. I'm shooter. It's almost the last day and we were working on a bowl and he just wouldn't, he wouldn't cooperate. He would just move about a half a mile every time he bugled in what <laughs> appeared to be on very, on very flat ground and very open pine. Was this in Oregon? To be, yes, it was in Oregon. Yep. And what appeared to be uh, random. I mean, he didn't have anywhere certain he wanted to go. He had bulls bugling around him. He didn't have any cows. I think he was just, honestly, he was, he didn't know what he was doing. He was just running around bugling and just looking for a cow and didn't want to get his butt kicked. And, uh, cause he wasn't a big bull. Yeah. And so I'm like, dude, this is stupid. Like, we're not going to get on this bull. We got the wind right the whole time. We've been on him for about an hour. And, um, I'm like, you know what? Every time I bum rush a bull, I've gotten on that bull. I'm like, we had our bikes. I'm like, bugle, get your foot on your pedals, and we're going to haul ass to where we think we're about to get busted, and we're going to get off, and then we're going to close the distance before he moves again. And, when you know, we get on him. Um, he bugles on the other side of a thicket after we pedal for about two or 300 yards. Um, 
we, we rush in and instead of going around the thicket, cause he was just in the open area on the other side of the thicket. I'm like, I have to use this thicket in order to not get busted, but to get a shot. And Anthony didn't say anything, but he's like, man, I would have skirted it. And probably you probably could have got a window. I mean, it's all, it's all hindsight, but um, we had two different opinions. He kept his to himself, never told me. And I'm like, here's what we got to do. Here's what I'm going to do. And if I would have chose to go around this other side, instead of putting myself in the middle of a thicket where I, I wasn't going to get a shot opportunity until I reached the very end of a thicket and knowing that that bull was very transient, I probably should have just went around it and yeah. just used the edge as cover. Um, but you know, that's, that's something I won't make that mistake again. I won't make the mistake of not barking back at a bull again when he barks at me. You know, like, um, we had a shot this year at a bull. Um, I, I was, I had a buddy call me. He was really excited. He's like, I got this bull bugling. I put him to bed this morning. I need, I need a caller. And so we got back in there immediately. The bull rips off and we're 60 yard line. I mean, from the touchdown, I mean, we are right there. Uh, and we get in and then he bark chuckles as, uh, as Mike's closing the final distance. I mean, he's maybe 30 yards from this bull. I'm probably 80. And so I cut him off with a bark chuckle right about as he finishes his, I bark chuckle back at him. And that bull just kind of like, what in the hell? And skirts <laughs> into a shooting lane, right? Skirts Sweet. into a shooting lane. And you know, I'm like, you know how I knew to do that? Because I haven't done that in the past and got no shot opportunity. And I've listened to guys that knew more than I did. So, yeah. um, you know, guys like Dirk who, who are really good callers, um, you know, if they bark at you, bark at them back. You know, <laughs> like, is Dirk pretty good? You, Dirk's a really good caller. Yeah, everybody I talk to says he's really good. The bro guys say he's fantastic. I'm totally and, kidding, um, man. You know, <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, I'm totally. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah, he's really good. <laughs> he's like a lot better than I am, man. He's like a world champion caller. I'm just, he, dude, the guy. I just like to give him shit and sometimes. So, well, you know, I've never seen him in the flesh, so he could be full of it. You never know. <laughs> I, I've had him. I've had him right here in the Broken Tine studio with his bugle tube, uh, both as Dirk the the bugler and as Doug Flutie, uh-huh. and and both ways he's pretty damn good. Um, oh, I'm sure. You mentioned something. I I want to I want to. It's a little off topic, but I, I'm curious about it. Super curious about it. You'd mentioned your bikes. Yeah. Um, what are you yeah. talking about? You like ride your bikes in the mountains kind of thing. Like I, I was watching born and raised once and they, they were using, uh, I don't know if they were those e-bikes or what, but they're, yeah. they're cruising these old logging roads to get to these areas. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, a lot of the country yeah. I hunt that wouldn't make sense, but how do you use bikes? What, what are you, can you give us kind of like a synopsis on that? So yeah, there's, there's a lot of timber ground out there. Um, and e-bikes aren't welcome on, on, on most of them. Um, so electronic motorized, uh, bicycles aren't welcome. So this is like, you have to pedal, mm-hmm. um, and over East, um, you know, all, I, I almost say almost all of them are, are no e-bikes. And, um, so you find a gate, you have a lot of area behind that gate. You can go hunt and you just pedal. And, you know, for us, it's cover ground until you get a bugle. We have an area that we're going to, or a drainage where that we're going to, and probably based off of prior bugles prior experiences or just this looks good. Um, and knowing the, you know, knowing what the elk are probably doing in that area, um, you can kind of really make judgment calls and play it to your odds. Well, they probably should be doing this. Let's go do this. And I honestly, the biggest, the biggest thing is the wind. I, I play the wind 
It's, I mean, you have to. Oh, there's yeah. No, there's, just, there's just no getting around it. And so well, and the wind sometimes comes back you have to, to access something. Yeah, yeah. The wind comes back to woodsmanship. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a big deal, man. Uh, when we're, when we're, I, again, I kind of cut you off there. I, I apologize. You're fine. Uh, you're I was fine. totally just, I, I'm just curious about this bike situation because I saw the born and raised guys doing <laughs> it and you're like in the same, yeah. you know, I don't know what it is about like the Roseburg, Oregon area. There's all these great hunters that come out of that area. Um, but, but like, uh, the, the bike thing is, is, uh, interesting to me because there are some area I, I was telling you, it doesn't lend itself very well to a lot of uh, some of the units that I hunt, but there are some units mm-hmm. where there's these miles and miles of logging roads where if I had like a mountain bike or something, I could, I can cover a lot of ground in a short time. That's exactly what it is. And, you know, a lot of guys hate on this, but it is so effective. It's not even funny. You cover ground and you're looking for the player, right? I mean, you're not focusing on one drainage. You're focusing for an elk that wants to play the game. And that is 100% the game plan for what me and my buddies do. And if you have a bike, imagine how many more beagles we can rip off and how many more drainages you can cover until you find that player. So right? you guys, I mean, it's you guys just, are like, playing God. You're you're cruising these logging roads or whatever on on the bikes and you're stopping every you know few hundred yards or whatever and bugling. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I bugle. First of all, I bugle. Sweet. I never bugle once. I always be always bugle more than once. Yeah, me um, too. And whether it's whether it's ten seconds apart, thirty seconds apart, a minute apart, five minutes apart, like I'll bugle three or four times in a drainage. And and you know, I think there's a lot. Um, of guys that bugle once and then move on, that's a huge mistake. You got to totally, bugle more than once. Totally agree with I mean, that, 100%. man. I, I hear that. I'll be down in the middle of a drainage, in the bottom of one, just some nasty asshole, right? And and <laughs> I'll hear this like four wheeler chugging along the road, up you know, a few hundred yards above me. He'll stop. Mm-hmm. He'll turn his bike off or motorcycle or uh, four wheeler, sorry, and he'll bugle, and then he only gives it like thirty seconds, and then he, all of a sudden mm-hmm. I hear that motor start up. It's like Dude, what are you doing? I mean, I bugle. I'll when I stop and I'm bugling. Sometimes that's a five to ten minute situation. Mm-hmm. Just let yeah. it play out. Let it play out. Paint the mountain with that bugle and just let it play out. Wait, time, man. I, anyway, sorry. That I'm passionate about that one. I love that topic. Yeah, you know, and and um, we we were on a really premium elk hunt on Oregon a few years ago, and uh, it was just funny. Uh, I would, you know, I, we started figuring out that the second bugle was the one that the bull always responded to. And so I always try and get Anthony to bugle first. And then I got this one knowing that it didn't matter who bugled the bull was going to answer on the second one. And so yeah. I just kept bugling on the second one and then rubbing it in, you know, <laughs> kind of just talking shit. I'm like, yeah, see, he likes my bugles more, man. It's, it's, this is what you got to <laughs> do. Just, just rubbing it in, you know, like it, it was almost comical, but you know, how many times have we, have you got a bugle? on the second, third, fourth bugle and, and guys are like, damn, that guy's just bugling up a storm. What an idiot. Well, you know, I'm an idiot and I get into elk. So I, I don't know what, I don't know what guys, guys hate on guys that just bugle every two to 300 yards. But if you understand, but they only uh, bugle once. Know, yeah. Like you, you were yeah. saying, it's stupid. Like I, I think you just kind of basically alluded to that. It is almost never, on the first bugle that I get a response, it's always on the second or third or fourth. That's, that's yeah. my experience with it. Yeah. Uh, there's been, yeah. I mean, I've, there's been tons of scenarios where we go, 
we're hunting flat ground maybe over eastern Oregon. A lot of this is over in eastern Oregon, but you know, over on the coast as well, even more so. You need to bugle more often at the coast, um, yeah. in my opinion. But uh, so let's just pretend that you know we're hunting, um, you know, a tamarack, you know, flat or a, a slope of a of a pretty good hill or a mountain. Uh, and you have all these little drainages. I mean, how did you know that you, your echo or your bugle reached more than 200, 300 yards? And if you can barely hear a bull at 200 yards, you mean it, let's just say you get a bull to bugle at 200 yards. How loud is that bugle? How hard did he bugle? Like what pitch was that bugle? Did you barely hear it? Now take that to an elk. Okay. They got better hearing than you do, but you don't. So you're going to have to at least get within that 200 yards and keep bugling right and because your ears just aren't as good as an elk's and maybe they are hearing you you're just not hearing them there's always that scenario i always wonder when i'm bugling somewhere first of all how many bulls are ignoring me how many hear me and how many did i not hear <laughs> and so yeah i i just every every time i bugle i expect a response i do i expect a response i don't get one you know maybe 10 percent of the time but mm-hmm. you know i'm not shocked when i do it's because eventually you're going to be right. Eventually you're going to get an answer. You just have to cover enough ground. And I've got other theories on, on bugling that, you know, are a little in the fray, but um, especially on the rosies, but there's, there's things that I do that other guys don't do that the other guys don't like, Mm -hmm. but it works for me, you know? And so um, knowing, you know, listening to guys like Mike Batiste or the, uh, the elk magnet guy, um, you know, those guys really know their stuff and they know the language. And, you know, not every bugle is equal and certain bugles mean different things. And, and that's yeah. all part of the woodsmanship skills. No, and, and, and you're exactly right. And I, I one thing I, I think it was Michael Batiste that I learned this from. But one of the things – actually, the, I had a – last September, it's it's probably the 12th or the 13th or so, sometime pre-15th of September, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I – I, let this bugle off, and I don't go full bore. This is another thing that people really mess up with bugling. They they get out of their truck, and they walk 100 yards, and they rip off this nasty, meanest, gnarliest, kiss-my-ass kind of bugle you can think of, right? And it just rumbles mm-hmm. the ground. It's like Shania Twain's song, Make the Earthquake. You know, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and it's like too much, right? Um <laughs> And and what what I found is I'll do these I'll do these like almost coyote sounding bugles. It's just just real quick, and mm-hmm. I'll listen. A lot of times I'll get a response off that first one, but usually it's going to be the second or third one. And, and I, I I build up a little bit so that second bugle is going to be a little bit more aggressive or a little bit longer, or a little bit louder. Then the third one is going to be a little bit more aggressive than the last one. And it was on that last one this this particular time I'm talking about. I get from uh, probably 150 yards away this this elk, and he goes, Ooh. "How many people don't pick up on that because they don't wait? Yeah. They don't they don't wait, wait long enough." And I had a great call in on that guy, uh, but he wouldn't come out of some brush, so I never got a shot on him. Um, but but that's that's what you're looking for, you know. It went from mm, to all of a sudden this bull was pissed, man. He was just rumbling. And coming at me, and and he was raking, and it was just this great calling. Uh, but again, he just never presented a shot. But it, that's that's what uh, I, I guess that kind of segues into this other topic that I want to talk to you about. And, and well, actually, you brought it up. Um, 
that's what does it for me. That's what makes me happy. That's what makes me enjoy my hunt, and that's how that's mm-hmm. why I hunt is those call-ins with elk because because September elk uh, archery hunting for for elk in September is kind of what makes me tick, and mm-hmm. um, I love that. Even though I didn't get a shot on that bowl, I remember that just as much as the call-ins that I do get a shot, and so. You had talked about before we hit record, you know, commit to doing what you want to do and focus on enjoying the woods and worry less about other other factors, right? And go back to the basics. What what's yeah. what's like your message with that? So my, you know, and and I think um, somebody it was a meme, and I think it, somebody quoted Michael Waldell, or maybe they didn't, I don't know, but there's somebody posted something and it really stuck with me, and it was you know, this year commit to hunting with what you want, how you want, where you want, when you want, and don't worry about the haters. Don't worry about what other people are thinking or saying, just do what makes you happy, right? Like do it how you want. It's your hunt. It's your tag. It's your money. And it's your time. Like do it your way. Like that one song, I did it my way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, Frank that's, Sinatra. that's really what, Frank Sinatra. And <laughs> yeah, I, I had it on tip my tongue, but I couldn't think of who it was, but, uh, uh, it's just, you know, happiness above everything. And then I, I know I said that earlier, but you know, I, I, I'm more happy when I'm not worried about what other people think. And I'm only worried about what I can control. I can't control the elk, but I can control my effort. I can control how good I sound. I can control how often I bugle how often I cow call. I can't, I can't control other hunters every year. I get screwed by other hunters every year. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, you know, it just happens. I, I am like an asshole magnet out in the woods. I find the biggest douchebag <laughs> who just, I swear, I don't what know do, what, what do it you is. mean by that? Are they like a bunch of Doug Fluties Dude, just screwing I've the pooch had, or are they, no, well, tell I've me about it. I've had guys walk. I had in, in Idaho, your, your home, well, not your home state, but your state of, of Idaho. They were, where they the were probably Oregonians. <laughs> it, it probably was uh so i i first time i went over there everybody's super friendly they're like don't judge it off of this year it's really warm it's not a good year usually there's way more bucks and come on back and here's where here's where we usually focus if you come back and i'm like dude this is like the twilight zone no one is this friendly in oregon and so i go back uh late season archery deer uh-huh. And I, my dad, we, we located a decent buck, you know, 150 ish buck. And he's in this little drainage with a few does. And I'm thinking, man, there's enough brush there where I could probably make a play. And it's blowing like that wind is when, when the wind's blowing, usually it's pretty damn predictable because it's blowing in one direction. And so, yeah, um, it just was blowing up, up the drainage hard. And I'm like, I, I think I could make a play on that buck. If I can't, I'll have to come all the way around. And, and I'm working this whole thing and I'm behind a gate and we parked at the gate. We're actually camped at the gate. And, um, these guys, um, see me and my stepdad, I know what they saw. They saw us pointing as I'm looking through the spot and scope. So immediately those guys see something and we're about a mile behind the gate and they follow my tracks. It's like three or four inches worth of snow. They follow us all the way in there. And, um, I mean, we're two miles deep at this point and I'm now glassing into the drainage a couple hundred yards from the buck. And now there's three or four other bucks in there, little ones and, and a few does. I'm like, okay, hey, it's definitely a happening, you know, little drainage here. And these guys talking like you and I are right now, come over the drainage. And I know it was on purpose. Come over that little drainage about 200 yards above us and start talking and spook 
every freaking beer out of that unit except one little forky. And they come over after it's all done and they're like, you guys see anything? You guys see that? You guys see anything? I'm like, oh, I, I know what you did. You did it on purpose. You know, I'm like, you know, we were after a nice buck, but he seemed to have ran off, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I don't want to be a dick, you know, but at the same time, you know what you did. And then, so what do they do? They keep walking out the road that we're on, even though we beat them in there. And yeah. so, um, you know, there's, there's stuff like that. I had a guy who drove up on me, public road, right? Public road. Mm-hmm. But if you see a guy who has a bow in hand and you see a bear and he's walking towards that bear with a bow in hand, you're, you're assuming, Hey, that guy's probably going to try and shoot that bear. That's about 60 yards below the road. Probably should let this play out. Yeah. Well, this guy bombs down. I'm, I'm barely leaving my truck. I mean, I am, I am working my way towards the bear, you know, and he pulls right up to me and the bear runs off and he's like, Hey man, what are you doing? You target practicing? I'm like, dude, you know? And I found, I talked to one of his buddies later. He knew exactly what well, I was doing. Was this in and Idaho he wanted, too? He wanted to shoot that. You said this was, this Idaho? was in Oregon. Oh, Oregon. This was in Oregon. Yeah. And so I just, you know, and I've had way worse stories than that where oh, yeah. guys will hike in, you know, I'll be parked at a spot at three o'clock in the morning and then guys will drive in half an hour before daylight. They'll walk through the unit, spook everything out of there and then hike out just so I don't kill a buck that maybe they were after. Like <sighs> it, and I mean, it, it, I just every year, every year, that... like last year, you got me on a tangent last year. We had guys, I know they didn't do it on purpose. Maybe they did. But we're watching this 300-something-inch elk for about an hour, and there's no way to kill him. You just basically have to enjoy the show, him and his 30 cows as he's playing with his cows, and, and just enjoy the show. And um, hopefully, hopefully he goes and beds in an area where he can put a stock on him when, you know, around noon and or 2 and when he's getting restless and put a stock on him then. And um, these two guys bebop through the meadow and just – push the whole herd off uh, almost you would have thought it was on purpose Jeez. and um it's just stuff like just silly stuff like that but you there, know i don't own the woods i'm not saying i own the woods but you know uh, i count that as sportsmanship too you know it's just bad manners i mean it's manners and that's that's one thing that yeah. is there is definitely a level of uh, or, or not a level, maybe a percentage would be a better term. There, there's this percentage of yeah. hunters out there that just don't give a shit about anything but themselves. And that goes for when they're hunting in areas where there's other hunters, that goes for they don't give a shit how they portray themselves on social media when no. it comes to like anti-hunters and, and, and all these other organizations out there that, that are looking to you know ruin our lifestyle, essentially. And they don't give a shit when it comes to... Uh, conservation, they take, 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 and they don't give anything back. There, there is that percentage, and unfortunately, it's that 10% of those kind of people without the manners, without the conservationist minds, without the, you know, the the spirit of of let's portray a good hunting ethic to to the general public who doesn't hunt. Um, it's it's yeah. those kind of people that ruin it for the 90% of us out there. And it, it, that's one of yeah. those things that gets my blood pumping like you wouldn't believe. I've, I, and, and I'm like you, man. I seem to attract a lot of those assholes out there that, that do that. I've had bucks uh, shot from underneath me where, where clearly they knew I was going after that buck. And they, they, I, they dude literally pulled up on the road and shot from the highway. Uh, this buck and, uh, and you know just stuff like that and you know you had 
you had the Blood Origins guy on, and he was talking mm-hmm. about um, how that like the the biggest threat to hunters are hunters themselves, and I couldn't yeah. agree more with that statement. I, I feel like when, when we're talking about threats to hunting and, and our, our lifestyle, our way of life, everything that we pursue, the biggest thing – I'm not worried about PETA, right? I, I'm just not worried about PETA. PETA and, and a lot of these other anti-hunting organizations are cottage industries that make money off of lawsuits. Like they don't want hunting to actually go away because then they wouldn't have funding from their their uh, erroneous losses. They wouldn't exist. You, you know, they wouldn't yeah. exist. And so that's that's just silly. Not to say that they don't have their there's not threatening things out there. You know, here on on my platform, we're well aware of them. We're fighting against them all the time. Uh, and that was another thing that he brought up on Blood Origins that um, Robbie, when when you guys were talking, is is he was talking about how, um, you, you know, they, I don't know how to put that. The, the, in terms of the anti-hunting organizations, it's it's always going to be there, but it's uh, – how did he put that? Dang, I'm totally drawing a blank, and it was such a dynamite point. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean you're never you're – never, okay, you're never going to get the far left to come to the right, and you're never going to get the far right to come to the left. You're, yeah. never, you're fighting over the middle ground, and you're fighting over the people that don't really know what to think but have an opinion but don't really know what way it leans and the infighting is going to kill hunting way more than the the PETA people that you're talking about yeah they don't yep. care they don't care about bow hunting versus rifle hunting versus mechanical they hate hunting right they are unified we are so broken up into so many different little cliques and echo chambers we can't stand to talk to one another and we all hate each other and everybody's mm-hmm. wrong for using a mechanical versus a fixed blade versus a compound, a trad, a crossbow. God forbid crossbows don't belong anywhere. You know, like everybody <laughs> hates crossbows. Why are crossbows and so – that's such a hot topic. Because like, they're, they're not a gun on. and they're not a bow. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I would shoot one if, if I had one. But, um, you know, it's just it's – just, we're so divided and that's really the best – Thing. You know, if I was an anti-hunter, all I would do, and this is kind of like like the Russian bots that they call, you know, like uh, there's, um, I listen to Joe Rogan quite a bit, but mm-hmm, um, he's too. talking about, he had a guy on about um, how a lot of these Facebook groups are actually like Russia or China, and they're setting up meetings with like, say, the Proud Boys versus BLM, and they'll set up two meetings at the same time on the same street to try and start fighting between the two. And it's all just a, like a diabolical little plot, but yet totally no one. Is. Yeah. I mean, they're just trying to pit people against each other. Well, if I was an anti hunter, I would be starting all these tiny little micro wars and wars between hunters. And I would keep everybody so divided. They could never get unified to anything like yeah, it'd be yeah. genius, it'd be like an evil, evil plan. Well, they don't have to do that because we're doing that to ourselves. I mean, we are so just so t- like petty just petty like why what i care what jim uses like i don't care i like jim jim's a cool guy he's a good hunter and if he's having fun with a mechanical not that you do but if you're having fun with that mechanical and you're having good success with it you're shooting a 380 grain arrow 320 feet per second then awesome for you dude like i've got buddies that do that they're very successful they shoot way farther than i ever would is that they're, is that what it is with mechanicals? You know, is they is is they they fat they travel faster? Is that is that what the draw is to mechanicals? 
No, no. But the guys that um, I'm probably going to eat my words here by I'm not going to eat my words. <laughs> guys aren't going to like what I'm about to say. <laughs> but That's the, the beauty that of a podcast, man. Come on. Yeah. The guys that shoot mechanicals are more likely to shoot a lighter arrow. Is that a fair statement? I think that's fair. I think so. Uh, yeah. The guys, I, I think that's, uh, I, I can tell you for sure that is 100% true. Based off of the hundreds of people that I have pulled, probably thousands of people that I've pulled, that I've gotten questions from and answers back from the polls on elk hunting forums and stuff like that on my YouTube channel, guys who shoot mechanicals shoot lighter arrows. When in reality, they should be shooting probably heavier arrows because of the energy loss. But, uh, you know, that's just yeah. that's just the mentality. It's fast, light and, and big cutting diameter. That's a that's a whitetail Eastern style. You know, that is what they do. And that's worked for them. They're only shooting with, with mechanical. I mean, you're you're still talking mechanicals, with right? mechanicals. Yeah, yeah. With, yeah, with mechanicals. I mean, they're shit. They're, a lot of the deer they're shooting are 120 pounds, you know, like the Alabama deer I shot. Dude, that thing probably wasn't even 120 pounds. Dude, I, I, mean, shot, it wasn't a, that big. I shot a whitetail in North Carolina, and 120 pounds would be pushing it. It would be pushing <laughs> it. Like this thing was – It was, obviously it was taller than my golden retriever, but body size wasn't much different. Well, some of the yeah. some of these whitetail bucks are going to have 200-plus pounds, and still, mm-hmm. that's, that's the size of a calf elk, you know? And, yep. That's yep. a yearling. That's that's a yearling elk, and and um, I would, you know, I'm I'm thinking of a deer. I my my requirements of what needs to like be on the front of the arrow they drop drastically. I mean, I will shoot. I would shoot a mechanical at a deer. I honestly, um, in in reality, and and know that it would probably do the job. But in reality, um, the reason I don't is because there's too many scenarios where I I wouldn't, and I would have. Uh, things go sideways. Like I shoot yeah. through brush, I'll through shoot, you know, and that thing would deploy the first twig I hit. I know it would. Uh, it was it would deploy the first viney maple limb I I barely nicked. And <laughs> the arrows that I'm shooting with the broadheads I'm shooting, I'm shooting through those limbs. I'm cutting them off and I'm punching through that deer. And my my arrow's sticking four or five inches in the ground on the other side. Like I'm shooting that setup because that's what that's what works for me. But that's also what's proven itself to be successful in the environments that I hunt. If I'm hunting a whitetail out of a tree stand and there's hardly any cover and I'm shooting them out of a uh, whatever they call them field, a, a PRC or island, there's a fancy name for those fields they, yeah, yeah, they hunt. I know, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I probably sound real, real stupid to an eastern guy right now. But, you know, and I'm shooting in a cornfield or a bean field. I don't have any worries about that thing, you know, early deploying until it hits that animal. Cause there's nothing to, to deploy it on really. So, yeah. um, it's all, it's all, you know, it's, it's all relative and, and perspective. Um, I heard this years ago and I, and I gravitate and I held on to it made of mine, but, um, you know, perspective is, is a unique, um, or I should say common sense is a unique perspective and it's based off of one's experiences. So what may be common hmm. sense to me may, may not be common sense to a whitetail hunter. Like yeah. yeah. A 350-grain no, exactly arrow right. mechanical does not make sense to use for hunting around here. It just doesn't. No. So and I've common never, sense is, is that would kill him. Yeah. I, I mean, I've never shot a mechanical because you can't shoot. You can't use mechanicals in the state of Idaho. So uh, I, I've never oh, shot can't? one. Yeah. No. No, you we can't We just made use them legal here in Oregon. Yeah. We just made them I – mean, I, I, it's kind of funny. We made them here legal in Oregon. People are number one. What are you going to shoot? 
fixed blade. And then, you know, but I was on, I was on, I was pro mechanical because I want your, I'm pretty liberal with, with, with the way that I think about boning. I want you to use what you want to use. I want mm-hmm. you to, 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 to do you, man. I want you to just to have fun, go out there, find success. If you suck at tuning your bow, a mechanical is an awesome choice. It really is. It's a great choice because it takes a lot of the tuning out of the equation. You just basically shooting a field point. And so, I mean, they have, they do, they really do have their place. And, um, I've had a mechanical in my quiver the last two years and I reached for on one hunt. I had an 80 yard, 81 yard bull, beautiful bull. I, I'm like, dude, this is like the perfect situation for it. There's no brush. I'm going to smoke this thing out in the middle of the unit. I grabbed it, took it halfway out of the quiver, put it back in, grabbed my fixed blade and smoked that bull pass through. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I just, I just it, didn't, I couldn't do it. Well, you made a, you, one of the points that you made there was you shoot what you're happy with. And, and it's all on that premise that we were just talking about. Like for me, I don't give a damn who shoots a mechanical or versus a fixed blade. I don't argue right. with people on Facebook over it. I don't. I don't care. I for for me, I'm a very holistic hunter in in a sense that I rifle hunt, I bow hunt, I fly fish, I bait fish, I spin fish. I you know I I don't have like I I don't get real caught up in in these arguments that sometimes happen on on you know social media mm-hmm. especially. I think social media is like the going to be the the thing that kills hunting. Because between oh, yeah. between the arguing on Facebook and between the dudes that hang a buck in a garage and beer bong fucking beer out of the esophagus of this buck and then pull, post yeah. it all over all over Facebook, that's the kind of stuff that gets in front of people that may not be anti hunters, may not be pro hunters. That's going to change them right there. That is so disrespectful, whether you're a hunter or a non non hunter, mm-hmm. and the stuff that they post. And then, and then all the infighting amongst the hunting, hunting, you know, different hunting um, factions, I guess, is one way to put mm-hmm. it. Uh, that it's so detrimental. It's so detrimental to everybody, and we all just need to kind of relax, take a step back. Like I, I'm a bow hunter for elk. When it comes to elk, I am strictly a bow hunter. I've never shot an elk with a rifle. Uh, I am, I'm very mm-hmm. much a bow hunter. Um, I do I judge. Anybody who goes out and rifle hunts for elk, like in Idaho, you can get the A tag or the B tag, right? And it's like this rivalry. You're an A tag hunter, meaning you're primarily a bow hunter. You're a B tag hunter, primarily because you're a rifle hunter. Like, I I don't have that. I don't care. Rifle hunting has its place, and it's very difficult. It's not like I'm snobby about being a bow hunter. Does that make sense? I know rifle yeah, hunting I mean, has you its don't own think that challenges. You're better than a rifle exactly. Yeah, yeah, I am not better. In fact, I will tell you that I bow hunt for elk in September because I don't think I'm good enough to sit there and have the discipline to spot and stalk an elk during the <laughs> rifle season. I like to call them in. That's my thing, and and that's the only way I know how to hunt them. Um, it's just it, it, it's one it's something that kind of keeps me up at night sometimes Garrett like in terms of like how the hunters how we infight and how all this this tension and and these these things build up and everybody wants to argue and rip each other apart like hunters mm-hmm. will treat another hunter worse about a disagreement about how they hunt <laughs> than they do an anti-hunter right. it's ludicrous right 100% i couldn't agree with you more and and it, it's just, it's just, you know, the high horse pedestal theory, whatever you want to call it is I'm more pure than you are because I used a trad bow yeah. or I used a, 
I, sh- I keep my shots at 30 yards. Well, then you're going to freaking hate me because I don't. And I will, I will triple that. Like I, <laughs> you and I may not get along. I'll get along with you, but you're going to hate my freaking gut because I, yeah. sh- I take the first shot inside my effective range. And it's, you know, I, I've, I've stood by this statement for, for years, for years. When I started many years ago, when I started getting into long range shooting um, with the rifles, um, their shooting instructor said something that I, and I, I didn't come up with the statement. Some other dude did. If you're that dude, congratulations, take credit for it. <laughs> but I've, I've kind of like, I make things my own all the time. Um, it, you know, I, and I've said this and, and I've said it, I'll say it again. Not a, not an original thought, not claiming it is, but uh, here's what a long shot is a long shot for an animal or any, any archer or any rifle hunter. If you are hoping to hit your target, that is a long shot for you. If you know beyond the shadow of a doubt, you're going to smoke that target, kill that animal, or hit exactly where you're aiming or extremely close thereof, then that is a shot you should take. And that is how I've decided what's a good shot for me, what's not a good shot for me. Also, depending, very scenario dependent. So if the animal's really twitchy, he knows I'm there, and he's really, you know, his buddies are twitchy, and everything is like falling apart kind of per se. Versus a milder that's just chewing his cud watching you and doesn't care. He'll let you shoot him at 60 yards all day long. He yeah. won't duck the arrow. Like, I've done that. It, it doesn't happen. <laughs> like, I don't know if I've ever had a mule duck my arrow. I, I Actually, I've had one. I have, I should man. not have taken the shot. <laughs> I have. Yeah, I, I should not have taken the shot. We were driving down the road. I hopped out, ranged, and he was at 60 yards. And I thought, yeah, I've never had an arrow. You know, and that, that the one time where he was super alert, he was sketched out. I, I just should have just realized i forced it and i made a stupid decision to even shoot and my arrow was there and he was probably 10 yards gone like it, it wasn't going to happen cool. uh, black tail white tail very mm. different animal very mm-hmm. different animal i mean mule deer mule deer man i i don't know how many mule deer that will just let you watch them shoot them like i i'm looking at a buck right now a nice three by four um i shot a few years ago that, Dude, let that's, me watch them shoot them. And that's their age. Know? That's that magic age, man. When they're three or four point, man, they will just stand there. And they're like, what are you going to do? What are you going <laughs> right. to do? Yep. It's, yeah. it's awesome. I love it. But I had a, I had a guy on my show um, named Mike Bozarth. And he said, you know, my trophy room is my freezer. And I really mm. liked that statement because that takes the, we're all competitive, right? And we all want the most mature animal. Uh, and, and, and we all want, like, who doesn't want a big trophy elk or a big trophy buck? I, I pursue them all the time, and I'm, I'm guilty of that. But at the end of the day, I, I really do want a full freezer. And yeah, But I don't judge people that pass on little bucks because they want a big buck. You know, I don't judge people that shoot little bucks. Um, there's actually exceptions to that. I, there, there are some times where there are exceptions to that. i got to say that, I guess, out of, you know, a disclaimer. But... I just don't judge other hunters as to what they what they hunt, what their goal is, what their method of take is. I don't I don't judge any of that because at the end of the day, we all have the same goal. We want to pack our freezers with this this wild organic meat and and we want we want to be able to pursue this kind of life without anybody infringing on on our right to do it. And and that is I think at the end of the day when you strip all the nuances of Bow hunting versus muzzleloader versus rifles versus 6.5 Creedmoor versus a 300 Win Mag, you know, mm-hmm. you strip all that away. It's it, we've all got the same goal, and I noticed this years ago. I was I was 
uh, I've been fly fishing for years, right? And and there's this thing in the fishing world where, you know, fly fishers can be snobs. They can be super snobby about what they do. And I'm, oh yeah, we've got them around here. Yep. Yep. So I'm, I'm, I fly fish, I, I was fly fishing this river in particular that I'm thinking about and, and I was, I was killing it all summer long and then fall hit. And I knew that the, the, the pool that these big rainbows were hanging out in, just to the nature of the, the temperatures outside, and it was it was heating up as the end of summer, early fall, they like to hang really low in the water. So I, I, I set my fly rod on the bank, and I got my spinning rod out, and I started spinning with some weight to kind of drag this, uh, this, this lure on the bottom, and I started catching fish like crazy. And this fly fishing dude comes down and starts giving me shit about not fly fishing. I, I'd already caught several trout on my fly rod, right? Um, <laughs> he starts giving me shit for using a spinner rod on this river. And he's like, well, I mean, this should be a catch and release only. And, uh, you know, only, you know, it, it takes a real skill to catch him on a fly rod. And he, he's just like lecturing me. And I'm like, dude, I have caught 12 fish in the last two hours between my fly rod and my spinning rod. How about I just drop kick you across the river for lecturing me? Like, like who does that? Who <laughs> right. does that? And and that's right. where and this was before social media, and and it just drives me crazy. Like, quit judging everybody for how they hunt, what they want to use to hunt, what the, all that kind of stuff. That that's a whole other podcast, I guess. Um, I don't know where else to go with that other than I think hunters need to need to calm down on social media. You're not that big and bad as everybody else. Relax. If you got a problem, what are you doing about it besides bitching at people on Facebook? <laughs> right. Well, first of all, if you have enough time to go on there and, and, and be a part of a thread where you're contributing that much, then you've got you got too much freaking time on your hands. You, yeah. You're you're, you're not, you should be out in the woods. You should be out yeah. shooting your bow. You should be out at the gym or on a run or hiking with a pack on or breaking in your new boots or whatever it may be, you're fletching arrows or, you know, if you're on those threads and you're, you're doing that shit, then you've got too much time on your hands. And, yeah. and that's coming from a guy who doesn't really contribute on, on those. Th- I, I, I tried a couple times and every time it just ended in a disaster where a guy is, you know, a great, the world's greatest hunter, but you know, Jason <laughs> Phelps refers to him as holding a bluegill, you know, he's, He's the world's greatest hunter, but his only picture is of holding a bluegill. Well, yeah. dude, like if you're such an accomplished hunter, I should be able to flip, 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 flip for five minutes just seeing all your beautiful hunts and your trophies and, and your kills <laughs> and your groups. And all I can see is you holding a bluegill with a beer belly and, and your shirt won't cover your belly button. Like, I, like I, I don't respect <laughs> Probably got a smoke. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> right. Right. No, it's I, just, you know, it's all relative. And, and yeah, I, sure. I, I'm like you, man. I, I don't care what other people use. I don't judge. You know, we have these guys on the North Umquah who are, I call them the, the elitists. And, uh, you know, it's barbless. First of all, it's barbless. Um, but you can use spinning rods with a fly bubble. And yeah. um, that is like bridging the gap for folks that don't have the time to go out and fly fish, but want to enjoy watching a a trout, you know, just smoke a fly on top of the water. And, uh, we, me and my dad do that every, every father's day. We've done that for seven, I don't know, six or seven years now. And dude, that and is just super a, effective yeah. in like high mountain lakes. That's, that's one of the best ways to do it. Get yeah. a spin rod bubble and a fly on the end of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great hundred percent for sure. hundred percent. And, uh, you know, I've even got my own little methods down to where I know what flies to use. 
depending on the sun. Like I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a fisherman uh, at heart in, in my head, but really I don't have the time to be that good to, to you know, to go tend to and not, you know, rip the, rip the line away from the reel. And, and, you know, I, I understand how to fly fish. I fly fish before. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't have the time not to whip off five flies before I finally get my cast down. You know, like yeah. I don't have that time. And, uh, <laughs> it's just, I don't, I, it's just, yeah, we've, I've had people stop and give me the lecture and it's like, hold on one second, fish on, you know, okay. What were you saying? Like, you know, I, I, I just don't care, man. Like <laughs> I know the laws I've been lectured on the laws, how I'm breaking the law. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've had guys, you know, have. argue with the regs. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just silly, but it just you know, boils back, down back to, to uh, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, I see, I see back, back to the woodsmanship stuff, man. I mean, I want to go back and, and before we even got onto the drumming, I know where you were, where you were headed. You were talking about when you were younger. Um, you know, that's, that's where the, the rabbit hole started is when you're like, back when I was younger, um, you're going to talk about the woodsmanship and your mentality when you were younger. And you and I had that conversation a little bit off air. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's a great area to hit if you wanted to hit that, but I want to go back to my mentality back when I was in my early twenties, mid twenties, I was figuring it out. I was feeling a lot, but I was having more fun in the woods then than I am now. Right. And I think that's a great point. It was just more simple. It, it, it was, it was so much more simple. And, and before I got on that rabbit hole, that's what I was saying. When I was 16, I had this 77 Chevy pickup. I'd drive it to a trailhead. I'd go hiking up to go hunt by myself. Uh, I had Nike tennis shoes on. I had Levi's on. Um, I didn't have mm-hmm. a cell phone. All this stuff. And, and you know what? I, I would be successful. And I, I would notch tags in, in these things that we, we get so – there's such a loss of focus sometimes on what's important and, and how um, woodsmanship applies. I didn't know I had woodsmanship when I was 16, but I did. And, and, and that's mm-hmm. why I was successful. And so on uh, to, to you, the point that you, I know we're running super long here, but to the, to the point that you, you're yeah. making, um, I, I want to tell people that maybe have not focused on the woodsmanship aspect of it that you don't know what you're missing in terms of the enjoyment of the hunt. Because when you know what is happening around you and you don't, you, you no longer feel like a guest in the woods, the, the enjoyment factor goes up tenfold whether you notch a tag or not. And, and it's great stuff, man. Yeah. What, what say you? Well, I, I know when I was figuring out bow hunting and I was doing very unconventional methods, but I was, uh, I was, I was finding success the hardest way possible. And I, I loved it. I freaking loved it. I was out there by myself. There was no Instagram. There was, I, I actually, my brother dropped off the DVD and I've, I've thought about posting the DVD. It's like with a handy cam, the, the footage absolutely is like the shittiest footage ever. It sucks. It's an old handy cam kind of footage, but it like, I'd actually like so to really, personal. I'd love to see that footage. Yeah. It's yeah. Oh, I've, I've thought about posting it, but every time I get close to, I'm like, man, I just kind of want to keep this to myself. Like, this is my, my, I mean, maybe, maybe it would help people and, you know, see, see where I am. I'm not a huge accomplished hunter, but seeing the shit that I'm using now and, and, and some of the animals that I've killed and, and the hunts that I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to go on. There's so many more I want to, but, but seeing where I started and where the passion started mm-hmm. and how bad I was, um, maybe that would help people. But I, I've, I've, opted to not post it probably five or six times I've been on there and I started like thinking about editing it a little bit. And then I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to play this one a little closer to the chest and, and I'd share it with a friend, you know, and stuff. But, um, 
you know, I, I, I just haven't had the, the heart to share it yet because it's, it's just so personal. And I know that probably sounds really stupid. It's no, 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 no. Like, actually, dude, but, that is not stupid. Not stupid at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, back then, man, I was out there by myself and, um, you know, for example, I had some of the best woodsmanship skills as far as understanding the, an- the actual animals I was pursuing. When I say actual, certain bucks, particular bucks I was pursuing in particular units, it didn't matter whether it was in the middle of the day on 100 degrees. If you'd say, Garrett, go show me a buck. I could drive you in the woods, walk you a mile, show you right where a buck would be bedded, right in a unit. If he's not in that spot on that little bark mulch looking stump that tore up, but you know, <laughs> now there's like a nice little bed below there. He's not there. He's going to be down here towards the creek farther. He'll be bedded right over here. So what, like, I was that in tune with the animals. When you were young, were you targeting specific bucks? Is that what you're saying? I was targeting um, – it got to the point – Yes and no. Um, I was very opportunistic. I would shoot the very first buck. Spike didn't matter. I, would, yeah. I just wanted to find success. Having said that, I knew what bucks were in there and where they were. And I would, in, in, in hunting those bucks, a lot of the times they're still in bachelor groups that time of year. I'm talking the first two weeks of archery season, um, you know, first week, week and a half of archery season. They're still, they're still bachelored up black tails are and they're still involved about the first week and a half two weeks so like august and time um, you're talking yeah we're talking last week august um and uh basically you know I, I, i've talked about this a million times on my podcast but uh, people are probably tired of hearing about it but um <laughs> and i've i've created my own way i created my literally my own way of hunting black tails and it was literally probably the hardest way possible and so what i would do is i had this unit i had this i had one two three, four, five units I could hunt behind a gate. I focused on that. That's literally all I hunted this particular way. And I would go in there, I would glass, glass, glass. And it got to the point where I would go up there five, about five days a week. I would fight fire. Um, I'd come off work, get off about four or five, hit head to the hills. And I would be up there till dark and hike back down. I do that almost every day. And I knew where the animals would be. So come, um, you know, August 26th or whatever it may be, I hike in there and what I would do, or oh, I forgot to let this out. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little um, excited here, but no, you're um, good. I would, uh, I would go in there and this is what's very non-conventional. I would go in there and spot them. I would remember where I spotted them, what time of day and how often, right. I'd, I'd keep like a mental track record. And then I'd go in there and I would try and stalk that buck. And I, I try and, I try and stop that buck and see how close I could get. And you got maybe 200 yards from it. That's the closest you could get. It's too brushy, way too dry. You know, a, a twig the size of your finger would echo through the whole freaking canyon. Like it was just impossible. And so <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I need to re-engage. So I started going in there and I started finding trails that would lead in and out that I could sprint. And I started wearing my Pumas. And uh, Pumas? I, like uh, tennis shoe? Pumas. Yeah, tennis shoes. And I wear, I wear blue jeans, Pumas and a t-shirt and I'd go in there and I'd haul ass down there and I knew where he was bedded and I'd see how bad I could jump him, just scare the living shit out of him. Mm-hmm. And then I would pay attention to what trails he was using on the way out. And then I would figure out what trail he was using, depending on where he went. And then I would run my ass back up to the top of the unit. And then I'd run around the unit on a road, a logging road. And I would try and beat that deer to the trail where it crossed the road. And, um, it took me about a week, two weeks, maybe five or six times before I actually started beating the deer to the road. 
Um, and I'm talking Dude. their their tongues are hanging out. Like, yeah, like That's I was nuts, a, man. I was a, I was a savage back then, dude. Okay, I mean, so I you was, were, you're talking about like earlier in the podcast, you're like, oh, I didn't, you know, I don't have a lot of woodsmanship kind of skills, blah, blah, blah. Dude, that is woodsmanship. That is that is great woodsmanship. You know where those deer are going to be busting out and you're cutting them off. That, my friend, yeah, is but, woodsmanship. Well, I mean, I, I, I had, I wasn't married. I, I, I had a full-time job, but it was firefighting and I was off most nights and, and it just, you know, times change. And I lost that. I lost that. Are and you, st- are you still I a missed, firefighter? I, no, I, I fought fire, woodland fire for, um, three years, three and a half years. And then I, you know, got a better job that paid, actually paid my bills. And, uh, <laughs> I, I was making 10, 20, I was making 10, 20 an hour fighting, fighting fire for the county and, yeah. And um, just yeah. making horrible, horrible money. But uh, long story short, I, I had the time, I had the drive and the, the passion and the desire to actually, and this is all before I killed my first buck with a bow. This is all before, all before that. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was in high school and um, just trying to, I, I just graduated high school, maybe even I forget, but um, it was, it was, it was literally, I, that's all I thought about. And yeah, you're right. That was woodsmanship. That but is woodsmanship. You know, that's badass at woodsmanship. Point, I mean, it. I was in amazing shape. I was beating deer out of units before they got. Like, who does that? And um, <laughs> I've never finally, done that. <laughs> it was. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And I, I'm sure I could still go in there, and I'm sure they'd still take the same trail. Um, but yeah. it would, it's a little too grown up to do it now. But long story short, I want to get back to, you know, just enjoying the woods and and you know. I don't know what you're, you know, if you're allowed to cuss on here, but you know, F, F Instagram. Yeah, like I just want to enjoy. I, I got to tell you, I, I sometimes try to avoid the F word, but I know I dropped it when I was getting all irritated about how hunters are behaving. <laughs> so fuck it, man. I mean, say whatever you uh, want. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I'll, I'll mark it explicit. And, and... There we go. Well, most of all mine are marked explicit. <laughs> I did too. I did too. You never know what people um, are going to say, man. So I don't care. Whatever. I just, I just want to go, but I want to get back to that. And that's what I'm, that's the whole reason of this podcast. I'm like, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was figuring it out and I sucked. I, I blew 20 stops, shot five, 10 shots at bucks, missing air balling. I bought a range finder. The next deer I shot at, I killed with a range finder because I was always high and low. I, I didn't know what an angle was. I, you know, I didn't know 80 yards downhill wasn't 80 yards, you know, like I, I had yeah. no idea. I, 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 there was no, there very little skill, very little knowledge, but the passion and the driver was there. I eventually found success and I actually found success when I actually had people with me, which was, which was even amazing. I had mm-hmm. my best friend and my brother with me and, um, we got it on video, didn't get the actual shot on video, but we got me tracking the deer on video and I saw it go down and I was, you could, you just couldn't wipe the smile off my face. And I just, I want to go back to to having that passion and and just getting away from that because knowing that I don't have the confidence today, knowing that if you told me, Garrett, go find me a buck and you you didn't give me any heads up, I couldn't do it right now. Like Mm -hmm. I could go find some deer, but I couldn't go tell you that deer is going to be bedded here. Here's how big he is here. You know, I I couldn't, I could not, I don't have that skill now. And and I, I drives me nuts that I don't have that ability um, but I started bow hunting actually because, um, doing that with the rifle was way, way, way too easy. I mean, there was one year I took six buddies up and six trips. We killed six bucks. I mean, yeah. it was automatic. It was automatic, man. And, uh, you know, we ended up, we ended up 
selling way too many bucks out of there kind of just blew the spot up for a couple of years and it's, it's back again, but yeah. Um, you know, that's, to like me, that. that's, that's, yeah, to me, that's hunting. That's, that's woodsmanship. You know, you don't have to be the best hunter. You just have to be driven. You have to be passionate. You have to be willing to fail. And there's some really unorthodox shit. Who else? I, I, I've got guys that told me I'm like, guys, I, I've, I've wanted to do this for elk, but I know I get so much hate for it, but I want to go out and I want to stalk elk about a month before season. And I want to go see where they go. I want to go see where they bed after they get pushed, because that's when, you know, you're a true elk hunter is if you a rosy hunter, it's not about where, you know, where they're at. It's about where, you know, where they're going, because most likely someone's either going to shoot that bull or bust that herd before you got a chance at them. And if you know, Hey man, I'm just going to let everybody else push them right to me. Here's where they're going to be. Yeah. Like that to me is a good rosy hunter. And, uh, you know, that, that's something I want to do with archery is, Here's where they're going to go. Here's where they go when they get pushed, you know, cause it's that, it's that local with, with rosies. And now they, sometimes the bigger bulls we're figuring out that they'll travel seven to 10 miles to go grab some cows for a week and then they'll disappear. Right. Yeah. Like there's, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff we don't know about rosies, but um, you know, there's, there's, there's some definitely consi- some consistencies in there. And I'd like to apply the deer logic to, to the elk with the work ethic there. I think that'd be pretty cool. That would be cool, man. I, I you know, I don't, I don't know anything about rosies, but I, you know, I, I just, I, I want to just touch on a couple of things that you said there in terms of like, you know, hunting, what makes you happy. It's funny you say that because I'm super passionate about archery hunting. Right. But mm-hmm. I, I also have this weird attachment like that comes out of, probably my childhood with with rifle hunting there there's mm-hmm. something about cracking off a shot with my 30 30 lever action and it's open sights <laughs> i mean like there is something about yeah. taking a deer with that thing because this this rifle has so much history and yeah you know i love i i, I always have this policy where i'm going to go on a rifle deer hunt every year and I do. I kill a deer every year with that damn same rifle. I've been doing it with for years. <laughs> um, and, and it's just, it, it's, it's because that's what I enjoy. Um, I, I enjoy, I enjoy right, our archery hunting as, as, as much as anybody that's super passionate about archery because archery puts it into kind of like this different, um, dimension, right? And, and mm-hmm. so I, I enjoy the hell out of it. But man, there is something. There is this level of satisfaction I get when I when I put a deer down with my old freaking. I I'm such a dork, dude, that I have a name for this rifle. It's she's called the Hell Bitch. It's the Hell Bitch, man. If anybody's watched Lonesome Dove, you know what I mean. It's the Hell Bitch, and the Hell Bitch has shot a lot of deer, and I take her out every year, and and it's a great it's a great time for me, you know. And so <clears throat> I guess I guess the uh, the point to what I'm saying is I, I appreciate your perspective and, and your openness because I, I think a lot of people can learn from that. And I, I, I'm hoping that a lot of people that listen to this will learn a little bit from that about how we all as hunters, we, we just have this <clears throat> perspective as as hunters with, with the goal and the end goal in mind. Um, it doesn't matter what our methods are. It doesn't matter how, I don't care if you're a, a person that gets a deer tag and you go out one Saturday a year, or you're a person that goes insane and you spend three months in the field during the fall. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You, you're my peeps 
and and I hope that you look at me as as one of your people as well because we we have this thing called hunting that we need to protect and and it's there there are things that we're up against and if we don't come together and start understanding each other better uh, and and not fighting about about some of these things that are you know just irrelevant in the grand scheme of things uh, we're gonna lose this thing and and I mean that we're, right. we're, I've seen <clears throat> such a shift. In the in the dynamics of our culture and our society, and how they they look at hunting and how we portray hunting and and how that kind of com- comes together in this like battle, um, we, we need to smooth that out or we're going to be in trouble because we are outnumbered as hunters, right? There's there, there's only we, about we are. you know give or take ten percent of the the population in the United States of America is at, are are active hunters every year. Uh, that that's a that's those are some major odds. And so now, man, this has been a great conversation. I, I feel like we can just keep going for like another hour or so, but we, we probably <laughs> better cut it off. Um, tell everybody where yeah. where they could find Garrett Weaver, where they could find On Point Podcast. Give us give us the uh, the breakdown on that, and we'll we'll uh, close it out. Yeah. So um, if you guys are looking for me on YouTube, just type in my name. It's uh, Garrett Weaver, two R's and two T's. Uh, I'll pull right up. It's um, I've got a separate channel just for the podcast because I got tired of posting um, non-videos, just audio on my regular channel. So yeah, I do um, that. if you listen I, I to it on I'm YouTube, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I have the on point podcast YouTube, but no one really gets to listen to podcasts on YouTube. So I have the Garrett Weaver podcast or Garrett Weaver uh, YouTube self-named channel, which is where all my videos and tutorials and reviews and all that stuff goes. And then um, anywhere podcasts are found and recently just um, got approved to be on the Pandora. <laughs> Dude, how the, long did the it – Pandora. Let me ask you something. Pandora, how long did it take you to get approved on that? About a week, I think, or two weeks. What? It took something me a like year, that. man. Yeah. A year. I it signed did? up for that a year ago, and I just got approved to be on there like a month and a half ago. Ludicrous. Yeah, I, mine's, mine's, yeah mine's a little bit more recent than that. I, I just – I think it was probably a week or two ago and I haven't posted about it yet. Cause I don't know how many people listen to podcasts on Pandora, but it's another, another Avenue, you know? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I don't, um, I don't have any sponsors. I don't, uh, make any money off of it really. I have a few patrons and, and, um, they're, they're very loyal listeners, but that, that's really about it. Um, I, I, I will never charge for an episode and, um, that's, that's just the goal I've always had. And, um, you know, it's just, I, I just want the information to be free and accessible to everybody. Yeah, I, I love it, man. I dig it. I'm, I'm I'm the same way. I don't I don't do the whole charge for the podcasting episode um, kind of thing. But uh, no, that's awesome. And I, what what I would say to the audience out there is is that uh, so Garrett, I've I've listened to your podcast kind of on and off a little bit since I've been listening to uh-huh. podcasts, which is a long time. Um, and, uh, but, but I really like what you do. I really enjoy your podcast, uh, especially the last several episodes you've had, uh, they're just, you're just a really good host. You're, you're a really good conversationalist. That's why we're into this almost two hours. Um, and, and so I think you just, it's worth everybody that's listening to this to check out the, the on point podcast with Garrett Weaver. Uh, and keep in mind that, you, you know, it's just a, it's all about perspective and the more perspectives you hear, the more, yeah, the, the bit, the better ability you're going to have to kind of form your own style of hunting and your own perspective and your own, uh, just, just overall philosophy on the, on the, this whole thing we call hunting. So, um, yeah, yeah. man, I appreciate it. Do you have a website? 
Um, I did, and I just got rid of it because I wasn't um, – I was just like, why do I even have a website? So I, I got rid of it about a couple months ago. Um, okay, okay. And I just – it wasn't serving any purpose. Honestly, I just had a website to say I had a website. So <laughs> I got rid of it, and, and uh, you know, I, like, I don't sell swag on there or anything. People don't listen to my podcast to buy my shit. So, um, you know, I, I just uh, – I got rid of the website. I got rid of the website. If somebody wants to buy a hat, I don't even, I don't even have any hats anymore. I'm going to have to order some more, but, um, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. there's some, there's some stickers that I give out for free. I mean, if somebody wants I know, man, that's what sticker, I, I, you I could buy, you could buy stickers on my website, but I mean, if you just run into me somewhere, I've always got them on me. I'll give you one. So they're yeah, like, they're yeah, like I mean, three I, bucks I on the sold, website, but I don't I care. I think I sold like three hats uh, or not even three hats, maybe, maybe five hats on the website in like over a year. And I'm like, and every single one of those, I had to direct. Like they got a hold of me and said, "Hey man, can I buy a hat for me?" I'm like, "Yeah, go on the website." I'm like, "Why am I paying the website who's taking a chunk of my money to sell that hat? Why? Why am I even doing? It? And I'm shipping it myself. Like, this is so stupid." So yeah, I, I just did yeah, everything. I just got rid of it. <laughs> everything I do is all drop shipped right now because I can't Mark. handle that part. And and it works, you know. People people are buying T-shirts like you know a couple a week or something. And and, and it's cool, uh, but it still ends up the website, the hosting, and you know everything else. It still costs me a lot more than I make. <laughs> so yeah, it's like whatever. Yeah, I think mine was like thirty-five bucks a month, and I'm like, this is silly. That's mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's I, I don't know. I mean, it's just if, maybe if I was running like mad volume, maybe it would make sense. But I sure, I didn't sure. start the pod. I started the podcast in hopes, honestly, of maybe doing this for a living. But since I've been doing it for a while. I just, I don't know if that's going to be, um, available because it takes, you know, 30, 40,000 listeners, uh, or downloads an episode to, to do that. And I'm not really there. I'm not even close to being there. Yeah, and, uh, it, it's just, yeah, I mean, it, it, that you're, you're pretty giant. You I mean, you're in the top 10 if you're getting 30,000 downloads an episode, you're, you know, your hunt back country, your Cody rich, Aaron Snyder episodes. I mean, you're, you're one of those three guys. Yeah, so, yeah. um, I, I, I just not there. And so I, I kind of backed off that. And if it goes that way, it goes that way. But I, you know, I'm just doing it for fun. And I think that's going to turn out a better product anyways. Sweet, man. I love it. I love your attitude. I love your perspective, man. We need to, we need to do this again in the future. You go and uh, I am totally down. Yeah. To have you on the podcast as well. I mean, I, I love you and I, I could talk for, with you for hours, brother. Yeah, <laughs> man. It, it's a good conversation. Like two hours. I didn't, I, you know, and, sure. and when we set this up, I, I didn't even know you were a drummer. So, I mean, that's a whole other element to it. I, like, <laughs> yeah, I can talk drums for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can geek out on that for sure. So, no, man, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. This is this is awesome. Um, we, we had, uh, I think we covered a lot. Uh, I, I think just as, as kind of like a summary, um, for, for you guys listening out there, if, if you don't understand uh, the importance of, of woodsmanship, I feel like you, you need to kind of reevaluate where that, that comes in because woodsmanship will carry you through a lot of different aspects of hunting and it'll make you a better hunter. And, and a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, think about, think about the, the hunters of, of the early 1900s without all the technology that we had, they relied solely on woodsmanship and they were really, really good at what they did. So keep that in mind. Uh, Garrett's a great guy to reach out to on this. Um, it's at on point with Garrett Weaver on Instagram. And uh, Garrett, thanks again for coming on, dude. This was awesome. I appreciate the opportunity, and and um, I'm sure we'll be having you on mine on on my show here very shortly. Let's just keep in touch, man. We got a lot to talk about in the future. 
Sounds good. All right. Well, you have a great night, man. I appreciate it. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.